Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're rocking with the most awesome The Carl Nelson Show. And good morning, Wake Up Scott, and thanks for starting your Wednesday with us. Hump Day, later, Doctor of Clinical Psychology. Jeff Menzies will take over our classroom. Dr. Jeff will examine the recent exposure of famous black men allegedly involved in inappropriate behavior. You all know what I'm talking about. Dr. Jeff will explain why so many people are invested in these allegations and if these episodes are detrimental to the black community. But before we hear from Dr. Jeff, attorney Kathy Middleton will discuss issues uh, some black men face, some black fathers actually face, when fighting for their children in family court. Some of you have heard some of these stories, I'm sure, but attorney uh, Middleton was going to share a lot of them stores and some also some advice as well but to get us started baltimore activist brother jabari is here brother jabari happy new year good morning welcome back to the program happy new year good morning to the call nelson morning show and and brother jabari first of all congratulations and his name the best barbershop in, in baltimore man that's a feat for you know well because i know there are a lot of barbershops in baltimore all different sizes and shapes and colors and you you came at number one so i just wanted to congratulations and give you your flowers so that the world will know that you're the best at what you do thank you thank you i appreciate that it was something i didn't even know about um you know um somebody had attached me to um the, the, the to a file and uh it was on facebook and saying congratulations and you know I, I, then i wound up finding out it was a pretty big thing it was by the baltimore Times. so um definitely was um you know happy to hear that you know but we've been around for uh been around for 23 years 23 years at, at that at that location in Baltimore, in Charles Village. So, you know, we're really happy that people really appreciate the service. And it's not just the, the barbering service, but it's our social activism. It's our commentary. It's what we talk about. You know, it's what we do. And, you know, we really care about the people. Yes, sir. It's more than just a barbershop. But tell us, why did you decide? Why, why did you, this is what you decide is your vocation. Why did you select being a barber, hairstylist? Uh, well, coming up, I always, you know, I was I was fascinated by people that would cut hair in the community, and when I was in the seventh grade, I actually started to um, to cut my own hair, and you know, to venture out to start to get some of my first clients um, was my, my my dad actually, and he was a very particular man, but for some reason, he let me cut his hair, and you know, and then from there, I started cutting his hair every week, and then I would just add on people. I would start to cut people's hair in the neighborhood. So all throughout high school, I would cut, you know, people's hair in, in school, even when I was in school, cutting hair. Um, bathroom, wherever, I would cut hair. And um, when I got out of school, um, you know, I started trying to find out what I wanted to do, you know, many different things. One time I thought I wanted to be a police officer and, you know, uh, uh, go to school and, and, you know, but many other things. So, you know, then I decided that, you know, let me let me pursue this, this, this career and barbering and you know so when I started to get into consciousness I worked at a bookstore called everyone's place so when I worked at everyone's place 
I met a man um, uh, there that would become my master barber, and I would ask, you know, I asked him, would he take me on as an apprentice barber, and he actually took me on, and from there, you know, it was history. Right, that's a great tale, because then you've, you've paid it back several times. Well, we could talk about that in a moment, but, you know, haircutting, people just think you just take some clippers or, or some scissors and just cut the hair, but there's more to it. It's a science. Can you tell the folks, because people who go to the barbershop these days don't understand that it is a science, you know, the, the size of the hair, the, 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 the quality, if you will, of the hair. You know, some people got super curly hair, some people got straight hair. Can you explain that? Because this is what you teach your apprentices. Yeah, I mean, if you look um, in history, you know, barbers were actually doctors back in the day. They actually used to draw blood. We used to pull teeth. Um, we would, uh, well, people would come and talk about their problems. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's, there's a there's a real history in us, you know, really, really being like doctors. And so what we try to do is now approach it in the same way. So as I teach my students, like, you know, you can be you can be a person that put hair on the floor, but you know, or, or a hair cutter. But we try to teach you to be a barber. You know what I'm saying? That means you're a counselor. That means you're there to you know to help people through their problems. You know what I mean? People have helped through many different problems that they went through in their life, and and. Not not only that, they wind up helping you with their problems, with your with your own problems, as you de- develop a relationship. So it's you know you have to be social, you know, um, uh, like I said, you, you 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 become that for the people, and you know that's 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 one of the things that we just try to teach people to don't just be a person to put hay on the floor, but be a barber. And it's a rich history in barbering. If you go into the the early 1800s, um, you know where a lot of black people started to become barbers and started to take on the trade, but it really helped to develop a lot of people who really didn't have different skills um you know there were a lot of different skills during that time but this was something that people actually were able to come up on and actually actually able to make a living and some of them became rich during that time not even just barbering but but some people like madam cj walker and annie malone in the hair industry but then they were barbers that actually did the same thing yeah, but you're more than a barber, though, Brother Jabari. I, I know you're being modest because when people come in your uh-huh. shop, and I've been there, it, it, that's where the conversation starts. And uh, we've got about four yeah. or five barber shops around the country. You used to listen to us in the afternoons, and they probably still do now. That we're doing some afternoon programs, and then they, when the program was over, they they continue the discussions. That's that's where all these discussions about black life starts in the barber shop or the hair salon. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, let me tell you, um, for 23 years, we have been one of the shops that you come into, and like most barber shops, and we have, but we have a lot of political debate. So if you want to talk about the latest thing that's going on, wherever it's Cat Williams, wherever it's uh, Dr. Umar Johnson, or what's going on in the community, we, you know what I mean, if you, if you come into our barbershop, Conscious Heads, we have heated debates all the time, and that's what we're known for, you know what I mean, you, you come in there, and you want to express yourself, you better be willing to back up what it is that you say, so, you know, we, you know, we, I've been debating for 20, 23 years, that's what I do for a living, you know, oftentimes instigating different arguments with different people that come in, because we got people that come in from different walks of life, but people come in, and they love coming to our shop, not like, like I said, not just because of the, the hair cuts or you know i mean just the other things but but for the commentary that we have for the debates that we have that's in our shops and it's progressive because like you said i mean you know um yeah like uh activism is one thing that i do you know i've been bringing speakers to town so it's all about information getting knowledge and information out to our people so 
as I'm talking to people, our slogan for Conscious Heads is that we take care of your head inside and out. So once we, you know, we finish with your head, we got you looking good, you know, and, you know, but also we give you some information and something to think about when you're leaving out the shops. That's been one of our key things, you know. So I've been involved. Our organization, our main organization is called Soul Survivors Nation, and we bought uh, – the organization Reality Speaks comes out of that organization where we bought people like Dick Gregory. We bought people like Dr. Francis Cress Wells and we bought um Dr. uh, uh, uh Neely Fuller. Uh you, you name them, we bought them we bought them to town. Sister Soldier, um Dr. James Smalls, Dr. Leonard Jeffries, Dr. Ben, uh I mean you name it. There's been hundreds of lecturers that we've bought to um Baltimore, you know, to so that people can get the information and knowledge. So we get you in the chair, then we promote to you, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, we got this person coming out. We actually probably play it on our, our TV and our media within the shop. And it's all about education and educating our people. And that's what people really love about our shop is that it's all about education. Now, we do debate about sports, you know what I mean? And we, we, we you know, we're we a regular shop, but we don't debate it as much as other shops may debate it. Some shops may just solely debate sports and, you know, different things about what's going on in the, you know, the latest crazy stuff that's going on in the community. We talk about that too, but, you know, we really try to educate our people. We we got an array of um, people. We have, you know, myself, which is a, a nationalist. We got a Hebrew Israelite that works right there on the first floor, um, that w- works right on the floor with us. So, you know, there's many different perspectives, but people love it because, it, you know, they're going to get what they come in for when they walk into the shop. <laughs> Uh, eight after the top there. Brother Jabari's uh, guest of family. Brother Jabari has the best barbershop in Baltimore. He was voted the best barbershop in Baltimore. Conscience has a barbershop in Baltimore. And as you mentioned, it's more than just a barbershop. But it, having all those individuals uh, that work for you or stop by, do you have do you have the individual who's just against everything? You know what I'm saying? The, the, he, he just, everything that you think about, you know, he's just the opposite. Do you have that kind of individual that comes into your store? Of course, all the time. You know, man, they'll they'll come in. You know, what I'm saying. You know, um, lately one of our big debates has been about you know, uh, economics and what we can do in our in our community. And there's a group of people that just want to disprove a lot of the theories of um, Dr. Uh, Claude Anderson and Amos Wilson. You know, and show that we don't have we don't have the black buying power in our community. You know, what I'm saying, and, and and a lot of us that do black businesses. You know, we like you know it's all about Coogee Chagalier self determination. You know, what I mean, if like some out, you know, we follow in the tradition of a lot of our rich people from history, from even from the 1800s, who built these towns where they came together and they pulled their money together and they were able to build um, black economics. You know what I'm saying? Beyond what the numbers say that we can do and what we can't do, you know, there's things that we can do in our community. Again, I was telling you about, like, you know, um, th- there's a barber. I don't know if you ever heard of him before. Have you ever heard of Lonzo, Lonzo Herndon? Herndon? No, I have not. Okay, so this this was a guy in the um, the early eight. He was born in 1858. Um, he was born on the plantation, but he saved his money. He started his first barbershop um, when he was 20 years old in 1878. And so he grew on to become a millionaire. He had like the best barbershop in Atlanta, but he was serviced like at one point he was serviced like all white people. Then he got into um, uh, real estate where he had like um, over 100 properties, he had more properties than anybody in Atlanta. 
um, during that time, like with over, over 100 properties. Then he went on to get into the insurance business with all the earnings that he made from his barber and went in to, to buy different people out with his insurance, an Atlanta insurance company, um, which um, another barber that he, he got with created the North Carolina, was it North Carolina Mutual um, Insurance. That was another barber that actually had started and got into the insurance age. So, that you know, there's a rich history of, you know, um, barbers, you know, taking their money. And not only that, when I was talking about the activism, all of these people, like from the, from there, from that era, Madam C.J. Walker and all those people were involved in the community, and they always talked about giving back to the community, giving back. You know, we always always giving back in our community. You know, they say Madam C.J. Walker was even involved with, you know, um, with Marcus Garvey, you know, in his movement and being able to help fund those different things. So there's a rich history in activism coming out of the barbershop the barbershop and even the hair salon. Yeah, 11 after the top of the hour, just waking up, I guess, is Brother Jabari from uh, Baltimore, Conscious Heads Barbershop. He's the best, the voting, the best, but no, I'm not just saying it. She's what the citizens of uh, Baltimore are voting as the best barbershop in, in town. But Brother Jabari, I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the story at a barbershop in Philly where Asians came and saw and started cutting black hair and, and undercutting the, 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 the uh, popular barbershop, black barbershop in the area. And, and, and trying to run them out of business by charging, uh, charging a lower price. And our folks went over there, of course, they're going to pay, pay less. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it was, that's the same thing with the um, with the nail industry, you know what I mean, and, and with the beauty industry in general. They come in and they undercut. But, you know, again, it's teaching our people that, you know, we got to be loyal to our people. They don't know. I mean, they see, when you go into that type of environment, you're not going to get the con- – it's minus the conversation. It's minus, you know, the, the the feel, the soulful feeling that you get in the black bar- in the black barbershop. So if you just go in, like you said, to get your hair cut, they talk a different language while they, do it, while they actually talk talking to you and those different things, you know what I'm saying? Of course, people come in to undercut, undercut us because we got to have the loyalty to our people and our community. They do the same thing with um with the Latinos and different different people now that they start that people start to go to now. They you know, they don't go to the black barbershop anymore, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I go to the you know, to the Dominican shop now. That's why I go to get my hair cut. But it ain't the, it's not the, it's not the same feel. Many of those people have skills and many of those people are our people they don't they don't identify as our people, but you know, people run there because they feel like, oh, I go to the Dominican shop or, you know, I, I go here. But there's a shop here in Baltimore um, of people that's um, uh, Asian, you know, that people start to go to on um, on Greenmount Avenue. Um, that's at least one that I know that's coming and trying to do the undercutting. So, it's you know, it's the same thing. We're going to have to stand firm, you know what I mean, and, and continue the rich legacy of our barbershops and, and commitment to each other. All right, we're coming up on a break, but let me share this with you. I'll let you get, respond when we get back. You know, Dr. Anderson talked about, and he specifically talked about barbershops. He says, well, the problem with that, some of our people, what we do, if a person opens a barbershop, then, and it's been, and it's successful, then another brother will go across the street or down the road and open another barbershop to compete with that brother instead of trying to figure a way how to sell him the shares, the, the, the scissors and the lotions or whatever he needs in the barbershop. I want to get your thoughts on that. If, if, if you've ran into that yet, because once you, now you're a target because you're number one. Everybody Everybody's going to keep gunning for your title. So I'll let you respond when we get back after the short break. 14 after the top, they have family. You want to join this conversation with Brother Jabari from Conscious Heads Barbershop in Baltimore. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Free in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL for information 
is power. And good morning, family. Happy Wednesday to you. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari is the founder, the president of Conscience Heads Barbershop in Baltimore, voted the best in the city. And we're talking about, uh, it's more than just the barbershop. So when we talk about several issues here, it's not just talking about cutting hair, because that's not what they do. That's what they do, uh, you know, only do, what they only do, I should say. But Brother Jabari, I mentioned earlier that, you know, in a conversation with Dr. Claude Anson, he was telling us that, you know, when we found out about the what happened in Philly where, where uh, the Asians set up a bomber shop to compete with, with the brothers and some of our brothers went over there because the Asians were undercutting the brothers' barber shop. He said the other issue is that we have people who look like us who go down the street and start to compete with us. And if, I'm just wondering if you've uh, if you've reached that if you pull that kind of target yet since you're considered the best in, in Baltimore this kind of thing that Dr. Fox uh, mentions as well we're always competing with each other have you had that that competition rear up yet? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. No, we, we haven't really um, had that kind of competition. Um, a lot, you know, a lot of people, so, so I have under, underneath of me, um, I've trained more barbers in the state of Maryland under apprenticeship than anybody in the state of Maryland. So, um, master barbers, I have four master barbers that's under me and, and, uh, and, and most of them have their own barber shops right now. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's one of my, my first students that I have, he's right around the corner from me about three blocks around the corner, reflection eternal. And all they do is, you know, he, he worked in my shop and left my shop and created another conscious head around the corner, <laughs> around the corner. So there's no competition, you know what I mean? And, and, and if, you know, we don't have space at our shop, we send them around the corner to their shop. So we more so work together, like I said, because they come out of the legacy of conscious heads. And we try to teach, teach our people that, you know, that we can work together. You know what I mean? We can, you know, we can work together. We can be friends, but they come from that, that great teaching of many of our great scholars that we've had, you know what I'm saying? And, and those teachings, I, you know, I, I, I teach my students, and they go out and, and, and they create their own hubs, but they are still connected in with the Conscious Heads family. So we don't we, we haven't really had that, that problem of comp- competition. The only problem that I can see that that exists now is that, you know, a lot of the um, and we have a lot of young we have young a lot of young barbers with us, but there's a lot of young barbers now that's actually coming up. And you know, and they and they can cut hair, they can put hair on the floor. They can spray and do all that other kind of stuff, you know, but they refuse to um, handle the social aspects or even to get a license. So most of the barbers that's cutting hair in the city right now are cutting hair unlicensed. And the problem with that is that it's, you know, about legacy. It's about the rich legacy, not being able to um, lay it down the line for your grandchildren or your, your children to be able to look it up on on paperwork and say, oh, yeah, my, my grandfather was a barber. Here's his license right here. You know what I'm saying? Here's, you know, and, and, and what they do is a lot of them, they chase, they chase the money aspect of the whole thing. So you got some of these young barbers, they charge 50 60 
for a haircut. You know what I'm saying? You know, and not about the big social aspect of being a barber. Like when you say you're a barber, that's something to be proud of. Like I'm a I'm a barber. You know what I mean? Which means that I work. You know what I'm saying? On on your head, inside and out. You know what I mean? I'm not just worried about just cutting your head and just making you look good there, but I want to make you feel good when you walk out of out, out of this out of this barber shop. You know what I mean? So we're trying to reach a lot of our younger people who call themselves celebrity barbers and those different things, and they got this movement that they just don't want to become licensed. And a lot of them so scared to take the barbering test. They scared to study for the barbering test. So we 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 trying to actually help people with that. Not that you know. Um, he just be regulated by the white man or whatever, but it's a lot of stuff that you need to know. And when you want to be a part of something, wherever you go to school, or whatever, there's a process that has to go on, a process that needs to go on. And so a lot of people want to jump the process of what, you know, what, what needs to happen when you become a barber, a doctor, or whatever it may be. But definitely in this field of barbering, so we trying to bring integrity back into the field of barbering in, in general, integrity, and where people can feel like I'm a barber. I'm not just a person that's trying to, undercut, you know what I'm saying, or get over or not report this or not report that, you know what I'm saying, but I'm a barber of integrity, and I'm here to help the community, and I'm here to make a, you know, to, to take that stance. Yeah, good to hear that, at 25 at the top of the hour, I guess some folks want to talk to you. Before we do that, I got a tweet from Gail. Gail says, good morning, I'm happy to hear Jabari on with you. Baltimore has many successful black-owned businesses, but this good news, but this good news get overlooked gets overlooked because the media focuses on anything bad or negative so thank you for highlighting a small business and his work in the community this is from sister gail who's in baltimore so she's probably heard about you brother jabari uh thank you sister gail appreciate it all right let me take this call at 26 after the top there ben's in long beach california he's online too good morning ben hey i would like to uh, talk to the barbershop uh brother you know i'm a uh, Oh, brother, just like he is, and I like to hear a barber shop or uh, talk. And uh, this probably question probably been a lot better for uh, your guest yesterday, but I'm just interested in what a barber shop brother like him would uh, say to this question. Uh, when Richard Nixon uh, was in office, or before he was in office, he said that he would uh, send all the black people back to uh, Africa. And now that I, I think about it, uh, it might not have been a bad idea. I want to like to know, what do you think of the, the positive or negative ramifications of uh, all African-Americans are, are going back to Africa, and what would be the pros and cons of it? And I'll take my answer off the radio, uh, Barbershop, brother. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I would say that, you know, um, you know, we, we, we built this country, you know what I mean, as, as black people, you know what I'm saying? So for those who want to go back to Africa, that's a beautiful thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, we have no problem against people going back to Africa, but, you know, we got blood, sweat, and tears here in this country, you know, so, um, you know, uh, which we deserve you know, to be uh, the reparations and uh, and all those things that's, de- that's deserved for black people. And we've helped to build this. So some of us, we, we ain't got to go nowhere. We can build here, but still be connected into Africa as well. So, I mean, you know, we, we, with, we with both movements. For those who want to stay, hey, stay right here and build. And for those who want to go, you know, go to Africa, but let's build, you know, and, and with the Pan-Africanism, you know, concept. All right, let me ask you this question, though. Uh, what's the major topic these days? Is, is it reparations? Is it, is it Trump? Is it elections? Is it Cat Williams? What are folks, uh, uh, particular day, what are they discussing in the barbershop right now, Brother Jabari? So some of the hottest topics in the barbershop right now definitely is Cat Williams. 
Cat Williams is the is, is the hottest topic, of course. And then uh, Dr. Umar Johnson is a hot topic always inside the shop. Um, uh, you know, many people debate over him, and you know, rather you know about you know rather his school is you know is coming this year or the next few months or whatever. You know, what I'm saying so that's always a hot topic. Um, religion can be a hot topic. Uh, male and female relationships, you know, is 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 a hot topic, and above always. Um, you know, and then there's always the, the beef about the, the greatest uh, singers, rappers. Uh, these are these are everyday conversations. But whatever is hot out in the media, best believe that's coming to the barroom floor, and it's going to be it's going to be discussed from many different perspectives. I'm glad you said mentioned religion because my neighbor he's, he went to his barber shop and he stopped going because the barber started preaching to him while he was cutting his hair. Yeah. <laughs> so he's yeah. like, "Man, I can't go back there." He's just he's just talking this Bible stuff and want me to listen to Joel Osteen and all this kind of stuff. So he stopped going. So you haven't you haven't run into anything like that, have you? Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um. um a lot of people say that um you know there there's been people that stopped coming to us because they say that we was too preachy about black about uh, black consciousness you know what I'm saying but there is some people that 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 overdo the religion thing and they say in the textbook that and you know um that you shouldn't talk about religion inside of a barbershop but you know we go beyond all of those borders we the black barbershop so we go beyond that so we do talk about religion we talk about Christianity we talk about Judaism you know what I mean we talk about Islam and we talk about it a lot like I said we do have um you know barbers that's um Hebrew Israelites you know what I'm saying we do have you know um people that's been Muslim you know what I mean um you know, uh, uh, that's worked in the shop. So we'll go back and forth. We got people that's, you know what I mean, um, that come there that's in the nation of Islam. And from time to time, people will express themselves, you know, express themselves about what's the role of a, of, 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 a, of a woman in a relationship. Does she just sit down and just, you know, um, just listen to what a man got has to say, you know what I'm saying? Or is there 50-50 down, down the middle? Like, what, what does that look like? You know what I mean? And, oh, man, we have so many heated debates. I mean, because, you know, you got people sometimes, they bring their children in, and women that come in, they get involved in the conversation. You know, some of them don't get involved in the conversation because we, we got some loud folks inside the shop. I mean, they, they, you know, these people come in, and we enjoy ourselves. I mean, at the end of the day, we don't fight. We get heated. Now, we might get heated to the point where, it's loud in that shop, but at the end of the day, it's like you know we shake hands. It's like, hey, see you tomorrow, you know. But we talk, but we do talk about those topics that people don't want to talk about, and they they say that we shouldn't talk about in the in the barber and handbook. Right, twenty nine away from the topic. As you mentioned, that Bronx Jomo in Buffalo sent me a note. He says, the "Barbershop for the preacher, the pimp, the politician, the prostitute, the pusher." He says everyone has a voice in a platform of true democracy, and I think that's what the, the, your barbershop, especially, is a true democracy. Everybody, everybody's got a voice. Everybody's got to say, and we can listen to each and every one. Because you know, if, I, if we can't have a discussion amongst ourselves as black people, then who can? Who are we going to talk to? But go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. No. I mean that. That's the truth. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I mean everybody. You know, if if you're brave enough to have a voice to come into the shop and 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 defend your position, then you'll come in and do it. A lot of people. You know, there's so many people throughout the years. Like I said we've been there. It'd be 24 years this year. And I and I'll see I'll see people out in the street, and people say, "Brother Jabari," and, you know they got hair all on their face now. You used to cut my hair when I was a little boy. 
man, I used to love coming into your shop. Y'all used to have all these discussions. It's because of what y'all were saying in there while I'm in this field or why I went to school for this or why I went to school for that. So you're thinking that, you know, a lot of the young people that's sitting there, you know, listening to us are not listening, but a lot of them are very inspired, even when they don't seem like they're listening. We've had guys, I had a guy that used to sit, he used to come in the shop. He never said a word. And he was leaving to move to a whole other city. And before he left, he came and he put a check in my hand. He said, man, I really appreciate this shop. You know what I'm saying? Even though it don't seem like I'm saying anything, you know what I mean? He left me a $1,000 check, you know what I mean? Because he just appreciated what we were doing in the movements. Because, you know, we work with youth. You know what I mean? We work with a lot of different aspects in the community. You know what I mean? And he just gave me a $1,000. And I'm like, dang, I never thought, I never even thought this guy was listening to Harley. But, you know, I guess he was, you know? Yeah, and, and for the children, too, who are listening, when you think they're not paying attention, they're, they're hearing these discussions, and you're starting to plan to see it. But you also, you know, give free haircuts. You know, I want you to talk about that. We come up on break when we come back, though, because that, I think, is outstanding. That's like a grocery store giving away free food. You know, they just don't do right. that. People don't give away their goods and services because it's a business. They're in a business, and that's, the, the, you know, the, the business is to make money. But you do that, right. and I want to find out why when we get back. we got to take a quick break here. Family, you want to join this conversation? Brothers Jabari from Conscious Heads Barbershop in Baltimore. Voted the best in Baltimore. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. 22 minutes after the top. Yeah, I think we lost Brother Jabari. So, Kevin, if you can get him back, I appreciate it. Before we go back to the let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with... Uh Doctor of Clinical Psychology, Jeff Menzies. We keep talking about Cat Williams. Well, anyway, uh, Doctor Jeff is going to look at that. He's going to why all of a sudden all these recent exposures of famous black men allegedly, allegedly involved in inappropriate behavior. He's going to explain why so many people are sort of invested in. You know, I could talk about it. They, they, you know, you go to the comment section on social media and hear what they're saying. And if these allegations are detrimental to our community, but before we hear from Doctor Jeff, Attorney Kathy Middleton is going to be here. She works in family court, and she says some of the issues that some black fathers face in fighting for their children. You know, there's a saying that black men don't care about their children. She says that, that's not true. And she's going to share some of those stories with us. And also tomorrow, Morgan State Professor Dr. Ray Wimbush will join us. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight right now on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Brother Jabari, good morning. We welcome back. You back with us? Good morning. Yeah. So my question is that uh, you 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 give out these free haircuts each each and every weekend. Uh, start why first? Why are you doing it? Well, we we created um. So this is another thing that's different about our barber shop. We created what's called Conscious Heads Barber and Boot Camp, and this was you know to, to learn some lessons down the line. Let me see, maybe about. 15 years ago, I had a staff, and it was about four or five people that left all at the same time. And I found myself, you know, needing barbers and putting signs in the windows and all, you know. So just studying, you know, taking advice of Madam C.J. Walker and all, I said, you know what, I'm going to train my own barbers, and I'm going to train people, with, you know, to the point where I won't, I won't never, ha- never be in this, I, w- I will never be in this position again where I'm struggling for barbers. So I decided to train my own barbers. So I put together a program, I put together a system of training different barbers, and so everybody that works in my, sh- in my barbershop portion, you know, saying they eight, eight different barbers, everybody comes out of my conscious heads barber and boot camp. 
Some people are older. Some people are a little bit younger. You know what I mean? But everybody that's on my floor besides one person, and that, that one person works in the barbering boot camp as well. You know what I mean? So everybody's influenced by the barbering boot camp. And so we train our own barbers. We just took a page out of, like I said, Madam C.J. Walker, some of the many, Annie Malone, some of the greats, you know. You know what I mean? So we, we got this barbering boot camp, and, and, and within a few years, you know what I mean, we'll have a barbering school as well as the boot camp because we're not going to stop doing the boot camp because that way we train people as young as is 10 years old. You know what I mean? My youngest barber is 10 years old. Uh, my oldest barber, you know, is 70, is 72 years old. You know, a brother um, that, that's actually taking our class. So um, when we get to a certain level of the boot camp and they're able to start cutting hair, you know, we try to give our services out to the community. So it becomes a win-win situation. You got people who need grooming services in the community. And so, you know, we find those people wherever it's in shelters, wherever it's in drug rehabilitation programs or whatever it may be, people that's in need of barbering that we, where we can offer and offer our services. And, you know, so it's a win-win situation. Those people get to get, like I said, they get to get free grooming and we get to get the barbering practice and everybody's happy. At the end of the day, people are very, very appreciative of getting haircuts. I mean, you should see the smiles on people face and you see the, see the smiles on even the barbering faces being able to do the work and put smiles on people's face at the same time while they're working on their skills and developing their skills as a barber so it's a it's a win-win situation so we started now every saturday um from nine to five at uh, conscious Hairs barbershop on the top level where our barber boot camp is barber boot camp students perform free services but you got to give us a call and um you know make a reservation you know make an appointment in order for that to be able to happen. But we're going to be adding on Saturdays, and, and, and really, I, I, I still cut hair very small, you know, but my whole thing is now to put my time into running the shop and, you know, to my barber and boot camp and developing new barbers, you know, um, for the community. Yeah, that's a good deal. And also, I understand that some of the brothers who used to hang out on the street corners, they, they even enlisted, they figured out this is what they want to do because many of them, uh, of searching for their way or what they were planted here on, on the planet to do. And, and they come in and they try and get involved in, in your in your store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we get them from the the, the, the streets, um, you know, some people from the suites or the streets or wherever, wherever it may be, you know, we take them in. If they're serious about barbering, they're serious about cutting hair, we take them in, we train them, you know, we put them around some of the finest people who been able to make a living from this barbering thing, like I said, because there are people that make, that, even today, that make great money um, you know, from cutting hair, you know what I mean? Make great finances from cutting hair, you know, um, and from actually doing hair. So there's a lot of money in this industry, but, you know, you still got to keep the consciousness straight. You got to keep the consciousness at the forefront and let them know, you know what I'm saying, that, hey, this is about you gaining, you know, your your, your financial uh, uh, freedom, you know, but, you know, you got to, you got to give, you got to give back to the community at the same time. You know what I'm saying? So we try to keep that in there. You know, we, when we doing the uh, barber and boot camp, you know, we have these aprons that they have. And at some point, you know, we start telling them it has red, black, and green or red, black, and green flag on the aprons. And, you know, I get to some point, I said, do y'all know what the red, black, and green means? You know, and most of them don't know. They're like, um, is it something to do with um, Africa or something? You know, and then we, you know, we had that day when we actually go down with the red and the black and the green as well. Like I said, because a lot of people don't know, and we teach them about, you know, we um about Marcus Garvey, and we teach them about those different things. But like I said, my thing is to train people, um, 
and professionalism to train them to know who they are and to train them at the same time, you know I me mean, to make money, but to be able to give back in the community. And if you ain't teaching that in the barber field, you know, then you, it's a, it's, you're teaching the hustle. You're teaching people to just go in and learn how to spray, spray, uh, you know, a lot of people spraying paint on people's head, and, you know what I mean, and white chalk lines and, you know, different things that they do. And I mean, not, a lot of the younger people like that stuff, you know what I mean? But we try to teach them the integrity and that it's about more than just getting money, but it's about the integrity of your people. Yeah, let me ask you about that, man. 16 away from the top. Yeah, you talk about the spray, because I've seen some older brothers uh, be doing that, spraying on beards <laughs> and stuff. Is, is that a fad, or how do you see that? Or you just think, you know, or you see a couple of years from now, that, that that's just a pass, it'll just pass over. Yeah, uh, it's so funny, because the white the, the white chalk that they put on people, the, the white eyeliner, that was something that we, that's something that we used training in our barber and boot camp. And so we would always use that and draw those lines on people as we were training and wipe those lines off. And so when I started to really see that, I was like, wait a minute, people really putting, they really putting those lines on people and leaving those lines on people? You know, um, it's a, it, it's a trend. It's a it's it's a fad. It's something that um that comes and you know it, it and and it will go. I mean, you know, sometimes if people know how to do it, it, it you know, it can look really good. You know, but a lot of that stuff are just you know at the end of the day, it, it it'll wash away. It's like putting makeup on somebody's head. You know what I mean? And 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 you go take a shower, and a lot of that stuff will wash right out. You know, <laughs> and just, oh, wow. you know, but if but if you but if you um you know you get married or you going for a very special occasion or event, some people are really good at doing it. Some people are good at uh, putting the um the hair pieces on people here. You know what I mean? Um, you know, putting the um the actual gluing gluing hair pieces on people's hair. It's a big industry in that, where people are going bald and they want they refuse to go bald and people you know they actually glue the hair on you know on top of their head. You know what I mean? And and know how to do it as as, as a great skill. So it's I mean it's a, it's a lot. You know um you should you should always as a barber stay educated in the field of what's going on so that you at least know what's going on in the field. Like I said, because, you know, we train and I train young people as well as people that's older. So, you know what I mean? So a lot of the young people, they, they like what the young people like, you know? Yeah. 14 away from the top of the hour, brother Jabari f- families from Conscious Heads Barbershop in Baltimore, voted the v- best barbershop in Baltimore, but it's more than just a barbershop. Now, you mentioned that you train barbers. Do you train sisters as well? And if so, I, think, I thought I saw a sister in your shop when I went there. Do they get pushed back? The brothers have a problem with women cutting their hair? No, I mean brothers like for women to cut their hair. They actually, they actually do. I mean, we do have women in our shop. You know, what I mean that's, that 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 actually work in the shop in barber. My daughter, who just um who just turned eighteen years old, um been cutting hair since she was uh since she was ten years old. But I can't get it right now. She won't she won't come into the shop. She says she don't want to cut hair right now. But uh you know, but I, I do have another daughter um of mine that that works in the shop. So inside the shop we have a lower level where we have a um a, a beauty salon portion, you know what I'm saying? And I do have a daughter that's, you know, the the young young younger generation. They into the makeup and all, you know what I'm saying? So my daughter she does the makeup down in the basement. We have natural hairstyling down in the basement as well. So um even more than the barbering classes, we will be having, you know, the natural hair classes and the braid classes we've offered before and we'll be having, you know, more more of that also. But Barbering, yeah, we do. We train women as well. We train women as well. And the brothers don't have a problem with women cutting their hair. That's what you're saying, right? 
No, 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 not at all. Not at all. They don't, they, they don't have a problem at all. I mean, you know, if they if they confident, we teach people about their confidence. They got the confidence, and they're like, hey, come on over. Nah, they they really like it. You know, a man really like a woman to put her hands on, on you know, on, on, on his head. You know, really, honestly, they do. But they want to make sure that, you know, that they uh, – and, and, and they'll sometimes even settle for life. If, they, if their skill level is not that good – but they feel comfortable with a woman. So it's it's a trade that's wide open for women. If women want to get into barbering, that they can actually make a great living off of from doing facials, um, you know, um, cutting hair, you know what I mean? They care. I mean, they can make a great living from cutting hair also. So how long does it take, though, to for one to master the craft where you say, okay, this, this, this person is really, really good at being a barber, becoming a master barber. How long does it take from start to finish? I would say if you give a person about two years, they can master. They, they can they can become like they they can master the credit. They can pretty much approach pretty much any situation and 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 be and and be okay. About so about two years, depending on how long. I've seen people. Oh, hopefully we lost uh, brother Jabari. I heard a click there. And hopefully he hasn't, his phone didn't drop 12 away from the top of the hour. Uh, if you just join us, our guest is Brother Jabari from Conscious Heads Barbershop in Baltimore. Just voted the best barbershop in that city. And later on this morning, we're going to speak with Dr. Jeff Menzies. Some of this barbershop talk that uh, Brother Jabari mentioned, you know, about what's going on with Cat Williams and the TDJs. And you could just go down the list. Did he just name them? You know, is, is that detrimental to our, to our community? And why are we so, uh, you know, invested or obsessed with what's going on in other people's lives? She's going to be talking about with that. Before we hear from uh, Dr. Jeff, though, uh, Attorney Kathy Middleton is going to be here to discuss uh, some of the some of the issues black fathers face when they go to uh, a family court. You're trying to get their children to, to take care of their children, and some of the stories is going to blow your minds because you know a lot of times people tell us that uh, the brothers, the uh, black men, do not take care of the children. That's not so. Some of these brothers have to fight, and she'll tell you some stories that people have come back into, into her uh, office and tell her. But uh, Brother Jabari, I'll let you finish your thought. I think your, fo- your phone dropped and you're explaining something to us. Yeah, yeah, I forget exactly where I was and what I was explaining. <laughs> yeah, we were talking oh, about yeah. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. yeah no, I was, I was saying that, that men are definitely um, they do want women to cut their hair. And there's a lot and, and there's a lot of um, uh, you, you can make a lot of money as a female barber. And, you know, do you explain to us, though, when, when you come in and cut the hair, because, again, at the start, we, we talk, people think that you're just going with it, some shears or some clippers and just, you know, rake it off and, and that's it, and then line it up, and that's it. But there, there's, a, there's a science to it. Can you, can you share some of that with us? Yeah, I mean, that you know, when people come into the shop and they sit in your chair, you got to do an analysis of their hair. You got to look at their hair, see what grain that they have. You know, black people have all, every type of grain. Anyway, you know what I mean, from curly to wavy to, you know what I mean, to just coarse hair. You know what I mean? So you look and you do an analysis of the hair so you can see what type of uh, equipment that you have to use for the hair. You might have to use a pick. You might have to use, you know what I mean, a, a, a stronger pick. You might have to use a blow dryer. You know what I mean? Sometimes you have to look and see if people have anything going on, um, any scabs on their head and different things. People may have just had an operation, so you have to do an analysis of their hair. Once you do an analysis, you know what I mean? You see wherever you're going to use the scissors or you're going to use, you know, what technique you're going to use, clip over, comb, or you're going to just use the guards. You know what I'm saying? So when a person sits in your chair, you start the conversation of trying to figure out exactly what they want because every, every people coming from different shops, it means
these different things. Somebody might say, "Oh, I want a regular, I want a regular Caesar cut," you know what I'm saying? Or somebody might say, "I, I want a temple taper," you know what I mean? But what does that mean exactly? How low do you want it? So there's a, a, a process of figuring out what a person wants. And if you get it right, when a person sits in your chair, they become a regular client for you. You know what I'm saying? You know if they if they like the environment and all, and they're like, "Okay, you know what? This person got it the way that I want." So you try to do the best to get the head the way that you want. But there's different skills and different techniques. You got to look at the um, the the shape of a person's head. Some people's heads are more oval. Some people have more square when you're actually doing the shape up. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to consider in the techniques of approaching and, and cutting hair. Yeah, kind of like a golf player deciding which club he should use, uh, you know, this time around or, or what to do when it's a putting move or, does he, you know, does he have to yeah. go for length or, or, or a driver? Is that is that what you're saying? So you, when do you decide yeah. what, kind, what kind of clippers you got to use or scissors? Exactly. I tell people every day, all your equipment is your team. You like a, you like a coach. Say you like a football coach. You know, you're using people for different, you know, I mean, for clippers for different things. You know, what I mean, you use some of them to get the front of the shape up line. You use some of them because you like to do the, the the C cup. You use some of them because you want to cut down the hair. You know, what I mean, so you use the, you know, you might use the pick or certain kinds of combs. There's different kind of thinning shears. There's different kind of, you know, there's something for everything. So it's yeah, it's like picking the right the right tool that you need. So you the coach. And all your equipment is the team, and you got to know how to swap them in and swap them out, you know. And that's 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 pretty much what it is. All right, we come up on a break. When we come back though. I want you to tell us what, what's the, what's the future for the Conscious Heads Barbershop. What what do you see? How far you see this going? Is it something that you'd like to franchise out through Baltimore or through some other cities? So let us know when we get back. We got to take a short break here, six minutes away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes though with Brother Jabari and your phone calls right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV around FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL for information is power. Hey, good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, he runs Conscious Heads Barbershop in Baltimore, and they voted just recently as the best barbershop in the city. Before we go back to it, let me just shout out the barbershops that are listening to us, who are probably listening to us through this afternoon. Uh, nice Creation Barbershop in Jackson, Mississippi. Two Max Barbershop in Washington, D.C. They're down on Georgia Avenue. Headquarters Barbershop in Connecticut. Clifford's Barbershop in Meriden, Connecticut. That's uh, Preston, the fellas down there, the sisters down there. They, they have these conversations every afternoon. Ricky's Barbershop in Shaker Heights for our, our listeners over there in Cleveland. And that's Barbershop in Philly and the Barbershop in Durham, North Carolina. They all listen in the afternoon and then after the program's over, they, they continue the discussion so just shout them out since we're talking about Barbershops with Brother Jabari here from from Baltimore. So Brother Jabari what's what's the future look like for Conscious Heads Barbershops? What, do we, what would you like to see happen? So um, if I could, Brother Cole, I just I, I want to take time to, to thank you. I mean, if I answer that question for um, the support that y'all giving me, um, you know, when my mom transitioned and y- y'all gave a lot of support, you know, what I mean, you gave out the information. We had a beautiful celebration. She was a regular listen listener to your show, and uh, my mom never cut her radio off. And she always, she never cut it off. And to this day, we haven't touched her radio. They're still tuned in right now, you know what I'm saying, to, to, your, to, your, to your show and to this network. So I really appreciate all of the support that y'all given her. So a lot of stuff we do is in honor of her. But going down the line, you know, we, um, we're going to be cutting hair out in the streets a lot more, going to, um, you know, different places like um, 
um, people that live underneath of the bridges and different programs. We'll be traveling to them. Some people will come to us. We're going to have a, a barbering school we're going to be working on for the next few years. We're going to have a barbering school, um, many different locations, many other barbershops and salons that we're going to have, and, you know, hopefully be able to take it, you know, take it to different states and eventually, you know, be able to take something over to to the motherland and, and to Africa, you know what I mean, and, and, and have a headquarters there. Wow. Amazing. That's that's why your blessings bank is overflowing, Brother Jabari, because exactly what you're doing. But before we let you go, you got to tell us where where is your barbershop? Is there a phone number? Is there a website? How can folks reach you? Yes, um, we are located at 219 East 25th Street, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Um, uh, My number is if you want to contact us, 410-303. 4120. Again, that's 410 4120. If you want to send an email, it's soulvivers nation. That's S O L V I V A Z nation at gmail.com. And if anybody who want to support, you know what I mean? We have levels where people can support, um, uh, you know, what, we, what we're doing. You know what I mean? You can become a, a sustainer for us. And um, you can reach me there at that, that number if you want to become, you know, be a supporter of what it is that we do. Because we're going to continue to do them, to continue to, um, you know, uh, to move in this city um, and, and beyond, you know, because we must do so and we must, you know, uh, we must continue to move. All right. And congratulations one, one more time for being the best barbershop in Baltimore. And hopefully folks who've got other barbershops listening out there will, you know, will try to do what you guys are doing or copy what you guys are doing in Baltimore because you've reached a lot of people. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Definitely, definitely. You know what I mean? We love all the barbershops and salons, and we just, we just love our people, and we're here to help. We're here to help. That's right. That's what we're here for. Thanks, Brother Jabari. Well, thank you for having me. All right. It's Brother Jabari from Conscious Heads Barbershop in Baltimore. Just voted the best barbershop in the city. That's from folks who go to all these other barbershops. Just think about all the barbershops in Baltimore, and this is the best one. That's what, they, that's what the residents of Baltimore say. Anyway, at four after the top of the hour, let's uh, turn our attention now to Attorney Kathy Middleton. Good morning, Miss Middleton. Good morning, Carl. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. For, since the first time here, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I am a family law attorney with a specialty in child support um, uh, litigation um, and child support arrears. I am a graduate of Temple University School of Law. I also turned my, attained my undergraduate education at Howard University and Temple University. And um, I am the author of two books on child support law, one for men, which is called Boy, Drop That Child Support, and the other for women, which is Girl, Get That Child Support. These are how-to guides to help people navigate the family court system without the benefit of legal counsel because not every one of us can afford to have somebody like me stand beside them when they enter into a court system. So we want to make sure that we empower people who may not have the economic resources but have the will to represent themselves to be able to do that effectively. So why do you choose... Uh, yeah, sorry. Those no, I was going to ask you. Website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were talking about the book, but why did you choose this field, though? Uh, coming out of law school, you could have, you know, 
uh, entertainment law, you, you criminal law. You, you could have chosen anything. Why family, family law? Well, I'll tell you. You know, when I started out, for the first four or five years of my practice, I was doing a lot of estate work, which is something that I really enjoyed doing, and um, some personal injury work as well. But slowly, Carl, you know, I had this one case that came in from the family court system, and then slowly but surely, more cases began to come in. And what I began to notice is that this wasn't just a, uh, you know, one or two random um, cases that, that were just walking in from the street. It was part of a phenomenon that was happening um, um, throughout the city of New York, which is where I practice, and I later discovered it was throughout the country, in which many people, particularly fathers, are struggling with uh, orders for support that are way beyond their financial ability to pay, um, people who are drowning in child support debt, who are running the risk of being um, thrown into uh, uh, jail because of their inability to pay. And what I also noticed is that when I would visit the family courts throughout the five boroughs of New York City, most of the litigants looked like us. Now, New York City is a city that, you know, the African-American community comprises maybe, we maybe are a third of the population. But you go to any family court in the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, even Nassau County, okay, um, Manhattan, and 90% of the litigants look like us. And many of the men who were, who were um, coming before those systems were complaining that they're being mistreated, that this is another system in which they are being treated as second-class citizens. And I began, as I began to, um, to, to represent them and, and get deeper into their cases, I found that to be a fact. And so, you know, feeling as if, you know, you go to law school to help change the system, not so much just to, 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 to be a benefactor of it. It, it, it drew me to then make this the the uh, primary focus of my of my practice. Well, I got to ask you this because, you, you, as you mentioned, going to any courtroom, not just family court, but most of the, the defendants or litigants, as you say, are us. As an attorney, have you tried to figure out why? Well, in in, in courts like a criminal court, housing court, family court, um, those courts where. Um, Individuals are dealing with high stakes issues. Um, it, it just it, there's a tendency to be um, there's a tendency within our country to have those kinds of cases um, involving individuals who have lower economic resources. So you know, high wealth people are not going to be dealing much with housing court unless they're the owner of the properties. Um, um, criminal court, we we know that in, injustices within our criminal court system that causes us to be more likely to be the litigants that um, stand before the court system. And the same is true with regard to family court. Because family court, because of the way the laws are structured, tend to um, um, have the greatest impact upon lower-income individuals, black and brown families, families that are are struggling to stay together, may have difficulties in terms of um, whether or not mother and father are are in a marriage unit or in a, in a household together. Th- those courts often have those kind of cases or the primary cases that come before them. I got to ask you this, though, because I heard about this uh, Bradley Amendment to Title IV of the Social Security Act. Can you explain what that is? Yes. The Bradley Amendment, which is 42 U.S.C. Section 666 of the the, uh, Social Security Act, is an amendment which was passed in 1986 um, by the United States Senate and actually both houses of Congress. And it states that retroactive child support cannot be changed for any reason by a judge or magistrate. 
and retroactive child support is considered to be a non-expiring lien that will continue to exist whether a person has been hospitalized, incarcerated, unable to work uh, because they can't find a job, or if they're on active military duty, and even if they uh, were erroneously ordered to pay. So what this basically means is that even if a guy was was uh, st- stated to be the father or accused of being a father of a child, and, and of course it was an error, and it's discovered later through DNA testing that he's not the father of the child, under the Bradley Amendment, because any past due child support cannot be changed for any reason unless the, the mother agrees to have it waived or, or the federal government is owed the child support as part of a, a TAMF case or a public assistance case, it will not be waived and he will still owe child support. So we have cases in this country from Georgia to New York to Florida and other places besides that in which you have fathers who are being put into jail for failing to pay child support and they're not the biological father of the, the kid that they're going to jail for. Oh, wow. Have, have any of that come across your desk? Absolutely, yes. Yes. I've had several cases in which the DNA testing proved that the individual was not the father of the child. And um, um, we we have to, in those kind of cases, the best we can do is to try to negotiate some kind of -of out-of-court settlement with the mothers of the children. Um, If, in fact, um, there is a public assistance um, case involved, then sometimes we can negotiate with the state to try to get the child support reduced. But child support arrears, once again, will not be reduced unless the party who's owed them agrees volitionally to have them reduced. No court can order their reduction simply because they were wrongly assessed against the person. So if the mother doesn't say, yeah, confess up and say, he's not the daddy, we can drop this or work something out, I still need some money, but you don't have to give me that much. Is that is that what you're telling us? Is that what the, the effort is all about now? Exactly. And I, in fact, I had a case in the Bronx in which that, that's exactly what happened. The gentleman was required to pay, uh, we were able to work out a settlement of a $30,000 payment over a period of time to the mother. Um, he owed $100,000, but we were able to get a settlement for him of $30,000 to her for a child who, through DNA testing, has, de- has been determined to not be his. And like oh, I said, wow. the other thing is that if, if in fact, the, a mother is on public assistance hmm. under federal law, so this applies to every state in the union, under federal law, she is required to name somebody, some man who she suspects is the father of her child, doesn't have to be accurate on this, but she has to name some man who she suspects is the father of her child as a precondition to receiving public assistance, okay? She can't get the benefit unless she named fingers somebody, right? And if she's wrong, they don't care. And once they establish that, that uh, this is the father, uh, uh, courts will take measures as part of, uh, of, of helping the states to, re- to recoup the public assistance from this, ge- this gentleman, and they will take measures to establish an order requiring that person who's been accused of being the father to pay child support. Now, oh, wow. The, the, the added, Hold that thought the right there, no, no, Counselor. Are they going to order him before even having a DNA test? They can do it, yes. They can do it. Just based, what, what will happen is that they will... And I was about to just get into this just now. They will have him serve his papers at his last known address. So the service issues are problematic because if a person has moved to another address, then they certainly wouldn't have knowledge that they received mail at their last known address, right? And once he's been served at his last known address, 
service is com- considered to be complete by the court system. It's completed, it's good service, it's effective service. So if he doesn't appear, he's considered to be in default. And a judgment against him for paternity can be issued against him by default, and an order of affiliation establishing him as the father will be issued by the court. So, oh, so you've got, there was a case that came out of Detroit. And which, Actually, well, hold that thought right there. I want to hear about the okay. Detroit case. Well, we got to take a quick break. Family. Okay. Uh, I guess this attorney, uh, she's a family law attorney, Kathy Middleton, and gives some horror stories about child support issues, especially that our young brothers go through. You know, they say brothers don't take care of their children. Uh, she's going to tell us that's not true. 800-450-7876. You'd like to speak to attorney Middleton, reach out to us. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 90. 5.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest. She's a family law attorney, Kathy Milton, who is discussing child support issues. And she's about to tell us about a story about coming out of Detroit. Before we do that, though, because people have been texting me and, and I got a text question for you. And people have been calling me to try to get to me to talk about their experiences with family court. But let me, let me understand this. You said before the break that the mother, all she has to do is to identify a male person as a possible father. And they're going if to, if she, you know, going on the county, I guess. And, and, and so they want the name of that person, the possible uh, dad, and they're going to serve papers. If they don't find it, they're still going to, the court's going to still find that he, he was guilty, even if they don't find him. And, and that person will have to pay child support. Am I correct in saying that? Do you have a... a uh, look like we dropped attorney uh, Kathy Middleton, so so Kevin will get it back. Because it's it's just I mean I'm just getting a lot of call, calls about this, to, you know, from brothers who have been through this. And I, I mentioned I got one I got got to ask her about. I got to read the tweet about. But that's what I got from the conversation. I just want to make sure it, it's correct. Because if you're out there, you, and I know there's some stories out there. Because I've heard some stories before, but. Wow, this is this is my, I didn't know it was you know, it was sort of codified in, in, into law that 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 happens that and uh, and you know some of the women know this and, and and the other thought that came to my head was these young brothers that are in the chat room out in L.A. Uh, the, the brother Ski had talked to and 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 this is one of the reasons that they despise women and this is uh, that's uh, you know I know they're listening and so this would be another feather in their cap to come at why 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 they dislike women but hey but it's the truth this is what's going on in family court so we have Kathy back with us Attorney Milton it seems like we we dropped it anyway because uh, she was about to tell us a, a, a story about uh, what's what's happening in Detroit but but. But uh, she's back. All right. So let me ask you this. So from what I gather, and correct me if I'm wrong, after the baby's born and, and the mother decides she's, she, she, you know, she wants to go on, get on the county, she has, to, she has to name a person and put that person down as, as the, the father, and then they go after the father uh, legally if they can't find him to serve him, even if they've just you know, gone through the process, because she may give him a fake address. Then that person, that father, then is uh, is 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 you know viable for to pay that child support. Is that correct? First, before we go on, 
Exactly, that's correct. If he's been served with process and he failed to answer and appear in court to fight the case, then a default judgment will be issued against him. And that's what happened in Detroit with a gentleman by the name of Carnell Alexander. Your, your listeners can actually go online and look his name up to, just to confirm what I'm saying is correct. That this gentleman, he was actually incarcerated for another crime. Um, that he had committed earlier in his life. And during his incarceration, a former girlfriend named him as the father of her child as a prerequisite to getting on public assistance benefits. And he was served at the last known address that he lived at before he was incarcerated. And of course, because he was incarcerated, he defaulted because he failed to appear. And an order for support was issued against him. It took this gentleman 26 years to fight Wayne County to free his name from um, um, both being uh, uh, the father of the child, being considered to be the father of the child, and responsible for the child support debt. He was arrested numerous times for the failure to pay child support, and um, it, it was, in his case, because of the impossibility of him being the father because he was incarcerated during the, the entire time of this child's life and during the time when this child would have been conceived. Um, Ultimately, the, the, uh, a lawyer was able to come forward after 26 years and get the case dismissed on his behalf. But he was being arrested. Uh, uh, he wasn't able to secure a driver's license because if you have child support debt, of course, the state will not issue any licenses to you. He was prohibited from being able to attain a barbershop license, any professional license that you might get from the state. You are prohibited from having those kinds of things if you owe child support. He could not get a passport. Because under under New York State, not New York State, but um, all state laws and federal law, you will be prohibited from being able to to leave the country or return to the country if you owe child support arrears, unless those arrears are paid off. So his life was a living hell for 26 years for a, a debt to a child who was not his. Now, if he had a job, could they garnish his, his wages as well? Absolutely. They could have garnished his wages. They could have intercepted any kind of tax refund that he had, um, was, was entitled to receive. Um, another thing that's interesting is that if this had happened during the, um, the, uh, the, the, the height of COVID, when stimulus checks were being issued to individuals who were falling off the economic cliff, he would have been denied access mm. to stimulus checks because he owed child support arrears. During That's that right. time period, back in 2020, when the stimulus checks were being passed, I was getting calls from men all over the nation. They're like, don't they understand that we're being affected by COVID as well? Just because we owe child support doesn't mean that we you know, shouldn't be allowed to, to, to have some, some, some stimulus money. And it, it, it was just, it was a horrifying experience for fathers who are primarily black and brown. And the reason why I say that is because under federal law, if you owed a tax debt, if you had a tax lien, could be $150,000. You still were entitled to get a stimulus check. But if you owed past due child support, you were deprived from having a stimulus check. Wow. Did and we, not and know, we that. know that. Yeah, and it's mostly black and brown men who are impacted. Right. Uh, attorney mm -hmm. Middleton, I got a tweet here. A tweeter says, this attorney is telling the truth. I cut yards for a living and the court ordered me to pay $500. My baby moms went back to court and said she needed more money and was granted it. It was literally, I was literally bringing home $50 a week after they garnished my check. He says it was horrible. And he's going through that right now. Any advice for that brother? 
My advice to him is if he can find a way to um, file a petition for downward modification of the order based upon uh, his actual earnings and the expenses. He says he, he cuts um, grass for a living. He may have uh, expenses associated with that undertaking, and so those expenses need to come off the top of what his income is to drive his income down, the actual figures down, in the eyes of the court so that the court can see what he actually brings home. And that also the fact that he's bringing home $50 should be enough for the court to state that, you know, he's, he's below the poverty level. You need to do something to adjust these figures. This is one of the reasons why I wrote the book, Boy, Drop That Child Support, is because there's a, there's, there are some things that men can do to tweak the circumstances that they're in enough to give them some relief. But if you are not well-versed on the laws in, that, in, in, this, in this particular area, you will not know what to do. Um, and so, you know, my books are available at my website, which is www.kathymiddleton.com. That's www.kathymiddleton.com. And I also ask people to, um, if they have any concerns about the book, you know, questions after reading it, things that they don't understand, that they contact me, um, they can email me and ask questions so that they can get information that they need. And you can give out your email right now? Yes, the, the, the email is on the website address, which is www.kathymiddleton.com, and they can also email me directly at midlewis at aol.com. That's M-I-D-D-L-E-W-I-S at aol.com. All right, now you have another book there for, for the women. What's the title yes, of that it, book? That book is Girl, Get That Child Support, and the, the purpose of that book, it's a how-to guide for mothers who legitimately need support from the, from, from the fathers of their children who are not getting it, who are trying to find ways to make men responsible for helping to support their kids that they bring into the world. So we're not trying to, to help anybody beat the system or take advantage of anybody else. We're just trying to make sure that kids are provided with the resources that they legitimately need. Yeah, I'm ask you this question though. So, if if they're not paying the child support and they may not even know they've they've, they've, they've uh, you know a, a judgment has been issued against them, does does the interest continue to roll on? Do they or is it just a, just a set amount or is it just can it continue to accrue interest while while they don't even know that they owe the money? Does oh, that that's excellent. That excellent question. You know, each state has its own designations as to how much interest is oh, is to be uh, assessed against child support arrears. Here in New York, where I am, it's nine percent. Um, you've got some states like California and Colorado, um, and and a couple of other, other states that go along with that: Kentucky, Kentucky and Ohio, um, Oklahoma. They charge as much as twelve percent. Other states are somewhere between six and and, and eight, and it's annually. This is this is. Um, um, accruing annually, that interest is amassing on the debt, so the debt gets larger and larger. And if you are an individual who is um, earning an income that is so low that you cannot pay the child support arrears, what's happening is you're falling deeper and deeper into debt due to your inability to pay. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Well, I'm going to ask you this. A 20, 29 away from the top of the Bradley Amendment. Who came up with this? Who, what's behind this? Well, the history behind it is a very interesting history, and I'm glad you talked about it. We kind of talked a little bit about it uh, last night. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a, an, a, 
a proposal that was made by then New Jersey State Senator, United States Senator Bill Bradley. He um, that, uh, wait, hang on a second. That's the Bill Bradley play for the Knicks. Yes, that Bill Bradley was a United States <laughs> okay. Senator, and in the nineteen. So all you Knicks fans you, out there, and you have child support issues there. This is Bill Bradley. You have to play. Well, go ahead. <laughs> okay, and so basically, what happened was in January of nineteen eighty-six, there was a PBS documentary called um, "Vanishing Families," you know, um, "Crisis in Black in, the, in Black America," and it was a. Um, documentary that focused on young teenage pregnancy that was becoming a real problem in this community in Newark, New Jersey. And they basically uh, uh, did exposés and and, um, interviews that followed the day-to-day lives of about nine or ten couples who were, you know, kids who were um, 16, 15 years old, dropping out of high school, you know, uh, um, entering into relationships, having sex, getting impregnated, going back and doing it again, you know, breaking up and, you know, entering into a situation where they were required to rely on public assistance in order to support the kids. And, you know, some of the young men were saying, you know, I don't feel like I have to support my kids. The government's going to do that. Um, and, and some of them are like, I don't feel like I should have a job, you know, because my kids can get taken care of by the government, so I don't have to worry about those issues. So, of course, you know, this, this community, this documentary, which was created surrounding this community, was one of the most well-watched documentaries in, um, in, in the United States. It won every potential award that a documentary could win, the Peabody Award and other awards besides that. And it just became a big fervor as to the question of personal responsibility within the entire black community throughout the United States. Um, is this the way that black people live? We have to be able to resolve these issues and make black men responsible for their children, right? And so out of this, this whole fervor comes this uh, uh, presentation by Bill Bradley, ex-Nick, that we should have this, this amendment to the Social Security Act, which stated that if a man has been ordered to pay child support for his child, the child support is a non-extinguishing lien so that if he falls behind, those arrears can never be waived unless the mother volitionally waives them or if it's the federal government who's, or the government who's entitled to receive child support as part of public assistance, it could be waived by them potentially. And if the, the gentleman failed to pay, he could go to jail he could, like I said, lose his driver's license or any other license. His, there could be a garnishment of his wages. Um, his uh, credit rating would be destroyed. Um, he would lose the ability to secure any kind of a professional license. It was just a host of harsh penalties that would fall upon an individual. And the worst part of it is that if they were jailed, because of the fact that this is a civil contempt matter, the right to counsel, the Sixth Amendment right to counsel, does not automatically attach. So the states do not have to uh, appoint legal counsel to represent you if you run the risk of going to jail for failing to pay child support. Oh, wow. Hold that thought right yeah. there, Tony. We've got to take a short break here. I'm just going to digest that. As you can't get over Dollar Bill Bradley. I mean, he's <laughs> supporting the Knicks, and you know, he's part of this. Anyway, we've got to take a short break, family. 26 away from the top of the hour. Four away. Uh, we're back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information, is power.
And good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our attorney, uh, Kathy Milton. She's a family law attorney, and she gives us an insight in what it's like in family court, law court, especially for brothers or men who's trying to get, you know, a, a redemption from being accused of or, or convicted, actually, or found in default of not paying child support. You get back to her in a moment, though. Let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with a, a doctor of clinical psychology, Jeff Menzies. He'll be in our classroom to talk about the recent exposure of famous black men allegedly involved in, you know, what we just term inappropriate behavior. And tomorrow, Morgan State professor Dr. Ray Wimbush will be here. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. And, and all of this is started by a dollar a Bill Bradley. For all you Nick fans out there, Brad, Bill Bradley played on the championship winning team with Willis Reed, Walt Frazier, Earl Monroe, Snazzy, Cassie Russell, Dave DeBusha, you know, all the names are played on the, on that team. And uh, Bill Bradley, Princeton grad. So he comes up with this, with this uh, I, I guess, this rule or law, if you will, that that's it's sort of uh, draconian and it's and it's ways to 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 you know to tackle the child support issue. I got to ask you this though, uh, uh, counselor, because you see, is this because you said it was came from this 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 uh, Bill Moore's uh, documentary film about uh, vanishing family crisis in Black America? But is it only Black men who are in this who are in, you know who, who who are considered deadbeat dads? Let me put it that way, as frank as I can get it. Actually, no. It's it's it, in fact, I have white uh, clients as well who uh, I'm representing who um, struggle with these issues. Um, I have one gentleman who has uh, $80,000 in child support arrears, and he is an injured vet, and he is he, he's, he's white, and he's struggling with. Uh, with PTSD and a host of other uh, uh, injuries. He, he had an IUD explode. He was in a Humvee when an IUD exploded, and so he's got some head injuries. He's not able to work to the extent that he that one who was not injured would be able to work, and yet the uh, system steamrolls over him just as it steamrolls over anyone who's vulnerable and is not able to um, uh, protect their, their, uh, their rights. And so we're going into court at the end of January to fight concerning his case because, like I said, they want to put him in jail. Everything has been suspended for him, driver's license, um, right to, um, to be able to, to, to work in any capacity um, in terms of having a license to work in any capacity. That all has been taken from him. And so we're, I, I, my goal is to fight for anybody who's being treated in unjustly by the system, regardless of the color of their skin. It's just that what we find is that, and studies show, is that most of the individuals who are impacted by this are black and brown men. In fact, there was a recent study conducted by the Urban Institute, which is a Washington think tank, and they, they found that 70% of the $115 billion that is owed collectively in child support arrears in nine states, nine large states, 70% of that money was owed by black and brown men who earned less than $10,000 a year. Why so? Why? Why does it seems like it's it's the people who are always at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale seem seem to be impacted more than others? Well, I think you know, just from my own assessment, when you look at the laws in terms of how child support is calculated, it's based on what. Um, what what is what the court would expect a normal individual, a typical individual, I should say, um, of a certain age or, and, and a certain education level should be able to earn. 
So with, with a lot of fathers, you have well, unemployment being high in the African-American community, higher than it is in a white community because of systemic racism. You have courts who will at times take an individual who's unemployed and will impute rate wages to them. And they will impute them based upon what they think this individual should be earning with no consideration for things like systemic uh, discrimination in, in hiring practices or being, you know, uh, last hired and first hot fired or being completely uh, 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 barred from certain industries. They will not look at those issues. They will just look strictly at what they think an economist would think a gentleman who's, let's say, 35 years old, who's in perfect health with a certain education level, should be able to earn. And so when it, uh, income is imputed to an individual in that capacity, in that manner, you will often find that, you know, a black father who's dealing with the realities of what racism does in terms of employment opportunities is not going to be able to keep up with what is, he's expected to be able to earn. Um, he's not going to be able to pay what the court will order him to pay based upon that expectation. And so we find many more black fathers who are in, um, in um, uh, child support arrears. Also, if there's an individual who has a uh, criminal background, that's going to impede their ability, tremendously slow down their ability to find employment, sufficient employment. And so they may be underemployed, and the court will say, well, you should be able to earn $40,000 a year while he's earning $10,000 a year. And they will impute income to him to the tune of $40,000 a year, even though the criminal conviction would prevent him from being able to secure employment that would allow him to pay child support at the ba- on the basis of a $40,000 a year income. So those yeah, are the kind I, of things that we're seeing. Yeah, I just got a tweet from, from a, a brother that says, uh, he says, uh, you mentioned that student loans and child support, you can't file for when you file bankruptcy, you can't write them off. But he says when he started paying child support in 94, they left him with $339 a month on that check. And that Bush gave us, he says, my ex got it and then waited two years to come after him with interest and penalties. Is that fair? Can she wait two years and, and, and sort of, you know, backload all the money that he owes with interest and penalties? I mean, and that's part of the problem. Like, you know, in, in my state, New York State, you have 21 years to collect from the time that the child is 18, I should say. You, you have 21 years to collect on the debt. So in most states, that's the way it works. It's, like it's a non-expiring lien that will continue for years to come, snowballing with interest adding to it. And so it, it can, you know, put a person in a position where they're blindsided all of a sudden by the fact that they owe six figures in debt that they never knew that they had to pay. And a child and, might not be theirs. Could, why why yeah. can that amendment be, can, whether that rule or law be amended and put the, you have to, it's mandatory to have a DNA. Because a man shouldn't go through this all of a sudden, 18, 20 years down the line, they'll be, they'll be impacted and, and then the child, they found the child is not theirs. Shouldn't they just do that? We, what, we, what we found is that we haven't had the will from our public officials to change the laws and to make laws more fair for fathers. It, 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 it seems to be in our country the attitude that um, there's no need to sympathize with a man. We've got to make sure that a child is provided for in order to keep that child off of public assistance. And that's the primary concern. We don't want that child having to be taken care of by, um, um, you know, uh, b- by the government. 
And so if the father has to go endure additional hardships or, or his rights or, 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 or not being protected, who cares? That, that's the attitude that we have. And so, uh, you know, and I, hold that thought right there. Is that the attitude? Because in their minds, the stereotype of a person who doesn't ca- take care of a child is black? Exactly. Exactly. That if he's not taking care of the child, he's primarily black and brown fathers who refuse to be responsible. If they would just, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and, and work harder and find a job, everyone in America can find a job who wants one. And, and, you know, if they would just do more, they wouldn't have these problems. And so there's, there's no consideration for the lived experiences of men who legitimately are struggling, drowning and child support debt, and who are so desperate that I, I talked about this with you last night. I have people who are coming to me, you know, threatening to commit suicide because they don't know what to do. They're at their wit's wow. end. They're working as much as they can work. They're taking home 50 and $60 for child, because child support is coming out of their, their checks, and they're still behind and falling deeper and deeper into child support debt. So what do you do? I, uh, for, for fathers... With some, depends upon the case. With some, we're able to work out and negotiate settlement for them, uh, particularly if they uh, owe uh, a public entity because of the fact that the mother was getting um, public assistance benefits. We have sometimes been able to get those arrears reduced by as much as 70%. I had one client where um, he owed uh, $50,000 in child support arrears. We were able to get it reduced to $10,000. So, um, you know, if, if, when there's public assistance involved, and we've been able to negotiate with mothers um, in order to um, get, get them to get a lump sum, which is significantly lower than they otherwise might have been entitled to get pursuant to the order. Uh, besides that, the best that we can do for, for fathers is to help them at the, at the onset when the order for support is issued, is to try, try to get it downwardly modified so that the amount that they're paying is less so that if they fall behind and they fall into arrears, the amount of arrears will therefore be less. There's things like that that we're doing. And in some instances, we're doing a lot with fathers to help them. Um, and this is an important issue, particularly for black and brown fathers, because of what studies show about their involvement in, the, in their children's lives. It tends to be greater than fathers who are not black and brown, is that we try to get fathers involved in their children's lives so that if you have a dad who is, um, let's say, he's got joint physical custody of a child, his obligation to pay child support is significantly lower, maybe non-existent, in comparison to if he's just a non-custodial parent. So I've been fighting with that issue in terms of getting fathers three and a half nights a week, three and a half days a week with their children, because, you know, it's 50% his child. He should have as much right to be in his child's life as much as he wants to, just as a mother should. When you can get an an order for visitation in place that allows a man to have ex- extended parenting time with the child, that can have a tremendous impact in terms of lowering that child support obligation. All right, nine away from the topic. You also wrote a book, Girl, Get That Child Support. What's the difference between these both of these books? Well, the women's book, The Girl, Get That Child Support, is, to te- is designed to teach women who are dealing with fathers who, are, who have the economic resources to pay child support and refuse to pay, how she can make, how a woman can make that man um, held to account in terms of what is the procedure for taking him into court and starting a child support case and establishing an order that he will be responsible for paying so that the child's needs can be covered. 
The men's book is designed to help men who are trying to be responsible but are struggling with the economic realities such as they are to be able to reduce their child support debt and, and obligations in ways that are, are legal and in ways that will still allow them to be responsible financially for their children's needs. All right, we have some tweets of folks calling in, but, you know, they, I guess I'm sort of embarrassed to be on the radio and discuss this issue. So they sent a, a tweet question for you, and I'll let you respond when we, because we're coming up on a break when we come back. Uh, okay. The tweeter says, or they call in the studio and ask, ask about the loss of a passport. Is there any way to get back other than paying the arrears, paying the money that you owe? I'll let you respond when we come back from the short break. Family, okay. I hope you enjoy this conversation with our guest. She's a family law attorney. Her name is Kathy Middleton. You want to reach her, hit us up at 800 450 Six away from the top there. I'll be back in four minutes right here with Attorney Middleton in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Momentarily, we're going to speak with Dr. Clinical Psychologist Jeff Menzies. For now, we're on with attorney, uh, family law attorney, uh, Kathy Middleton. And, and attorney Middleton, the tweet came into the studio, and Smitty in Baltimore has a question for you. But the tweet came into the studio, what about the loss of a passport? Is there a way to get it back other than paying the back, the back charges? Right now, there's no other way to get it back except to pay the back charges. So you have to be very careful about whether you leave the country. Sometimes they allow you to leave the country, and you'll be flagged at the time that you try to reenter. Sometimes they will allow you to not leave the country. So you have to be very careful. They'll, they'll just actually seize the passport? They will, they will actually they will flag it, so you'll be on a, a, a list of individuals mm. who either cannot fly, cannot leave, or who, if they do leave, cannot return until they pay the debt. Oh, wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Smitty, as I mentioned, in Baltimore, has a question for you. He's on line two. Good morning, Smitty. Yes, good morning, Carl. And Hi, good Smitty. morning to the, to, to the attorney, Kathy. Attorney Kathy, you know, when I heard what you said in reference to this child support, somehow I feel as though it's been applied unfair and the male is held fully responsible. Some males who even pay the child support cannot have access to see their children, the, the parent will hold the child back and don't let them have visiting rights. But the other thing I'm more concerned about, and I always think about this in my mind, that if both parents engage into the sex activity and the child is born, why not both parents be held to pay child support and whatever the benefit of it that comes out that is for the child, six and the mother has to put money into the child support system along with the male. But they're the both said people of the parent of the child. But if the parent has what we call daycare or other things, then they would subtract it from the money that both have put into the budget for the goodwill of the child. When we talk about the goodwill of the child, the goodwill is not when one parent is to, to the best of the way I see, even though the law is in place, it's not mm-hmm. shared equally. And so I, I would like for you to address that there, and I appreciate that. All right. Thanks, well, Smitty. Thank you, Smitty, for your question. Basically, how child support is viewed is that if the mother is the custodial parent, her money is going towards the support of the child 
on a daily basis. To it, it's used being used to take care of the child's eating needs, to keep a roof over the child's head, to keep clothes on the child's back, to transport the child back and forth to school or whatever activities the child has, and so. Even though you have like states like New York and, and New Jersey and D.C. and others across the nation that are combined income states, meaning that when they calculate a child support order, they use both parents' income to determine an appropriate child support award, the amount that the mother's obligated to pay is considered to be the amount that she's already laying out to, to support the child, to provide for the child. The only way that she would be required to pay child support is if she was the, either the non-custodial parent or in some states if she was if she was part of a visitation schedule that was a joint visitation schedule where both parents had equal amount of time with the child say three and a half days a week each parent has three and a half days a week then um, if she earns more money she might have to pay child support to the father so I hope, Smitty, that that answers your question as to why it is that we don't necessarily have a system that says, you know, the money goes into an account. It's considered to be already being paid by her in order to keep a roof over the child's head and clothes on the child's back and food on the table. All right. And, and Dr. Jeff, will get you momentarily. This tweet just came in. This is, and I'm just paraphrasing what it is. Uh, this, this gentleman is on the job. He got paid. He looked at his check. There was, they took out money for child support. HR took out money. He goes, goes to HR and says, why, why didn't you contact me when, you know, once you got the order? Uh, cause he says he wasn't, he wasn't behind in child support. And they, but they, you know, they took, took it out as money anyway. He got mad at the folks at HR, you know, and then they, they, they told everybody on the job. So he, he's like, what do I do? Who who should I be mad at? The, the uh, HR for for not telling me that they're going to take the money because I, he had you know budgeted for that money and he gets right. his check and it's missing. Who should be mad? At? Should HR be telling the hey we got a, a, a request for you for child support you know for, and they're going to garnish your, your money from your, your check? Should HR have told him that in in advance? I guess that's his question. I think that HR should have told them in advance. I think that you should always be um, informing your your employees of anything that's happening um, in terms of the monies that they're receiving. I, I also understand that under federal law, HR is required to respond to any orders for child support or any income deduction orders that, are, that they receive for child support. They have to, by federal law, comply with those within 14 days of receiving those orders or they will be held criminally liable. And so, um, you know, they have an obligation to do certain things, but they certainly should have informed their employee of the fact that this is what was being done. Yeah, all right. Thank you. A lot of great information this morning. How can folks reach you, though, Attorney Middleton? Well, they can reach me on my website, which is kathymiddleton.com. That's C-A-T-H-Y-M-I-D-D-L-E-T-O-N.com. And um, there they could, you know, they could uh, send questions to me. Um, I will be able to um, respond to their questions within 48 hours of receipt. They can purchase books. They can um, 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 look at, uh, read old blogs that I have on child support. They can also hit me up on Twitter at support law. There I do the child support tip of the day. Um, it's designed to help people to understand what their child support rights and obligations are. And if they have further questions, they could reach me by email at midlewis at AOL.com. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, now I mentioned I got a bunch of questions. Let me just do a, one last question for you. This person says, I dealt with this and now it's in my past and thankfully I fought hard to have a relationship with my daughter. However, more than a decade after child support ended, it's still on my credit report. Why is this? Well, if he continues to owe child support, then uh-huh. uh, like arrears, then it will continue to exist on a credit report. If he's paid off all of his arrears, it should no longer exist because it's no longer a current debt. It should be closed out and removed from the report. So uh, I would have to find out. They can contact me at, at midlewis at AOL.com or go to kathymiddleton.com and submit the question, and I'll be able to answer it once I have more information. All right, another one says, since this is primarily impacts, maybe this is for Dr. Jeff, primarily impacts black people, is it possible to also address how black men and women deal with each other regarding sexual intimacy and its ramifications? I think, I think, yeah, I think the doctor would be better suited for that, but I do think that- <laughs> I do think that, you know, there are issues that we need to learn about how we relate to each other um, and do so more positively in order to keep the system from taking advantage of us. All right. Attorney Kathy Middleton, one more time. How can folks reach you? They can reach me at kathymiddleton.com. That's my website. They can also reach me at midlewis at aol.com. That's my email address. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for sharing all this information for those uh, men who are out there trying to fight this, this the family court system just to see their children or even get off child support, especially those men who weren't, you know, the child is not theirs and they're stuck exactly. with child support payments. Yes. So it, it, let me, real quick, so it ends at 18, right, when the child's considered an adult? Depends upon the state. Some states, like New York and New Jersey, it's 21. Some states even take it higher than that. If the child has disabilities, it can be as much as 24 or 25. But most states will end at 18 or when the child graduates from high school. All right. Thank you, Attorney Kathy Middleton. Wow. Thank you. Learned this morning. Thank you for sharing the information with us. Thank All right, you. Family. Have a great day. Uh, you too. Nine after the top of the hour. Attorney, Doctor of Clinical Psychology, Dr. Jeff, good morning. Happy New Year. What's up, Carl? Happy New Year, brother. <laughs> man, just this, 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 uh, this family court issue with child support, man, that these, uh, some of the brothers go through is just horrendous. You know, man, seems- look, I-, I heard a story yesterday, Carl, where a man's child had been deceased for decades. He didn't know it. And the mother was collecting child support the entire time. Well, now, of course, like up until about 18 or when a child would have been 24, 25, like the attorney said. But she collected after the child had been deceased. Wow. Wow. And so is there anything he could do? Is there any recourse? Can he get his money back? I mean, well, she she going to jail, of course, because she actually killed the child. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's a, yeah, man. And it's a true story now. And, 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 you know, what the attorney was saying, I thank her for, for sharing that information and doing the work that she does. And you could hear the frustration in your caller's voices, the brothers that were calling in. And and the frustrating part is not because they don't understand it. It's because the law is what it is. And so I noticed that attorney Milton, she would explain it to the brothers. And I'm thinking like, they no, they understand. <laughs> it ain't that they don't comprehend. It's the fact that the law itself is problematic in many cases because you've got men. You know, and it's just by default, the mother gets the child support. Like, what, what just happened with uh, 
uh, Emi Odoko and Nia Long. He got to pay, what, like $32,000 a month uh, in child support. And they have, I don't know what the percentage breakdown is, but they have joint custody. And so, you know, you rarely, you rarely see a mother being child, charged with child support, you know, even if the father does have custody. And, and the, that, that last question that came up, I know this ain't mm-hmm. our topic, but that last question that came up, Carl, uh, about bettering the relationship, you know, men rarely go after women for child support, even if the man has sole physical custody of the child. You know, that's typically not something that a man does, typically speaking, statistically speaking. And so there are these, these differences in dynamic between men and women when it comes down to children. And the last thing I, I want I like, to say quickly. It, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, and I, I'm open to any follow-up question too, Carl. We can talk about this. You know, we can talk about this forever. Uh, right. But, yeah. <laughs> But when, when you look at, um, like, some of the vindictive nature, you know, when it comes to custody battles and the weaponizing of children against men, uh, and, you know, with the whole divorce proceeding, the whole, the whole system is set up at, for some reason right now is being leveraged to decimate men. And, and it's, not, it's not good, man. And, and men are suffering and men are being labeled as deadbeat and, and not wanting to deal with their children. And in many cases, especially the couples that I've talked to or men that I've talked to in this, around this topic, you know, it's not that they didn't want to deal with the kids. They didn't want to deal with the mother anymore. And that's the difference. And so when that happens, you know, rejection is very serious. It's a serious, it's a serious, it triggers serious emotional reactions. And sometimes the response is going to be to weaponize the children because they know that that's what the man wants still is his children. And you take the man's children away from it, it decimates a man. You know, and that's what I was going to ask you, the relationship with a child and all this you know, back and forth going between the adults, the parents or would-be parents or supposed to be parents. How does that impact a child? Do they understand, even if they're a certain age, they've got to understand that something's going on, that something's not cool. How does that impact them? So, you know, different children, different outcomes, because, of course, individual personalities, but and then also the circumstances itself. But but usually what happens is the child takes the perspective of the mother. Uh, The child, and that's a natural thing, right? You know, children are typically emotionally closer to their mothers. And so they feel their mother's emotions. They, they're more sensitive to that, you know, especially, you know, because literally they grew inside for for nine months, you know, typically nine months. And on the outside, the nurturing, if, you know, if you got two parent household, typically the nurturing comes from the mother. And so the children usually align with her feelings, her sensitivities, her emotional disposition. And, And so, and so when it comes down to divorce and splitting parents, you have, where children typically will side with the mother, you know, until they get to a certain age. I talk to people all the time and I say, you know, have you asked your father for his version? You know, have you considered that, you know, maybe moms did something to him or there was something that you don't know about that actually took place? And most people have never considered it. And for those who have, they've never had the courage to actually breach the topic uh, with their mothers to ask what happened in the situation or reach out to their father to have that conversation and say, what happened? What took place? Why did you leave me? And for those who have had that conversation, they find out that it wasn't what they thought it was. Because you got to remember, these are typically children who come up with their own conclusions and their own stories to rationalize and justify what's taking place in their family. And so as an adult, you would definitely have a different understanding, a different perspective, and a lot more information, you know, to base your, your, your perspective off of. 
All right, we come up on break. We come back. We'll talk about what we were scheduled to talk about. You know, the black man, famous black man, allegedly involved in inappropriate behavior. You know, the T.D. Jakes, the, the Diddy, who uh, Cat Williams, who he outed, all of that stuff. We want to talk about, folks. When we get back, when we can take a short break here with Dr. Jeff. You want to join the conversation? Reach out to us. 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes at 14 after the top of the hour. Right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Our guest is uh, Dr. Clinical Psychologist, Dr. Jeff Menzies. And Dr. Jeff, I heard about from three sisters during the break, so I just want to apologize if they thought that we came over attacking them. That's not, you know, we were basically attacking the system. We weren't attacking the the sisters. uh, So we'd never do that. Uh, uh, And if it came over that way, we we apologize. I'll speak for Dr. Jeff on that because I I know that's not what you were trying to do. But uh, anyway, let's get on to the topic, though, Dr. Jeff. The the fact is these black men, famous black men, black men now all being outed for inappropriate behavior what's going on here is 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 this is this a fad or or is something something in the air why why now yeah well you know Carl, it's like it's, it's kind of like a happy new year kind of like ball dropped uh standing under the mistletoe it's like you know all of that stuff right and, and you know dr wells and she warned us about it a long time ago brother and mr fuller he talks about it consistently even to this day you know, when you're in this system of racism, white supremacy, you know, if everything, you know, if you don't understand what it is and how it functions, everything that you think it understands will only confuse you. Right. And so we're looking at this massive onslaught of negative press, negative imagery, negative interactions between black men and between black men or about black men. Right. Um, black men are being labeled certain ways right now. And, you know, we don't, we don't know, you know, I, I don't know if people are doing these things they're being accused of or not. Uh, in some cases, I feel more like it might be possible and that it, it's correct. In other cases, I'm like, yeah, y'all reaching on that one. But the point is that we're being bombarded with this imagery right now. And black men are tumbling either by their own doing or they're being set up. I always tell people, Carl, that say, folks would do stuff to you, with you and for you now just so they can have something on you later. You know, in other words, it's, it, they could be setting you up the whole time. And if you're not wise enough to know, if you're not insightful enough, if you're not disciplined enough, then you can be, you'll fall right into the trap. And it'd be all fun and games. You know, it'd be all hunky dory, you know, party time, all this other stuff. And then 10 years down the line, somebody start producing pictures, text messages, and emails. And you're like, oh, snap. And during the time it was taking place, it was under one context. But when it's shown in the future, context could be spun and you could be made to look like anything that you used to look like at that time. Uh, but, you know, it's just it's, it's a really deep process. Uh, Cat Williams really, I think he, he put the icing on the cake recently. And if you, you know, you know, Mr. Fuller's 10 stops, right, uh, <laughs> that he talked about in the code. Right, Carl? Uh, right. Share it with, with the audience. All right. So, all right. So let's, let's, let's run through uh, Mr. Fuller's 10 stops real quick. Uh, and of course, he could do it better than I ever could. Uh, but it starts on page 254 of the Revised Code. And when you look at Cat Williams' uh, interview with Shannon Sharp, and when I first saw it, I was like, man, this is a master class. You know, you could take that interview and dissect it on so many different levels and so many different cross sections. Uh, but one of them is the 10 stops. And you'll see some variation of all 10 of these stops that appear throughout this interview. So number one is stop snitching. 
Number two is stop name calling. Three is stop cursing. Four is stop gossiping. Five is stop being discourteous. Six is stop stealing. Uh, Seven is stop robbing. Eight is stop fighting. Nine is stop killing. And 10 is stop squabbling amongst yourselves and asking the racist white supremacists to solve it. Or or to settle it, I'm sorry. And so (laughs) you look at that. I was just watching it like, dang, you know, they're constantly just being inebriated, drinking and drinking and drinking. You know what? When you get drunk, you know, you, you get looser in the conversation. And so I've, I've often looked at that angle of, the, of uh, that of Shannon Sharp's interviews because, you know, he's promoting, of course, the, 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 the drink that they're drinking. But also there's another podcast that occurs called The Drink Champs, again, headed by a black man, Nori. Uh, uh, he's a he's a, a hip hop artist from the '90s. He's most famous late '90s, early uh, 2000s. But he's got this podcast called Drink Champs, and they're constantly drinking. And so we look at I'm looking at this like, wow, this is very interesting that they've got you know black men, black people having these conversations, and in the process of having these conversations, getting drunk, and you know, and and to me that's a dangerous situation because. When you're getting drunk, you're more susceptible to influences. You know, you're you're less inhibited, right? And that's part of the reason for getting drunk, especially when somebody is promoting you getting drunk while interviewing you. You know, one of the first things to being on code is like, hey, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to drink nothing in this conversation because I want to make sure I'm sober in my mind. Uh, and just real quick, a quick sidebar, but still re- related to the topic. Uh, when I was watching, uh, rewatching uh, Godfather of Harlem, and I'm watching the Malcolm X character very closely. And Malcolm, you know, as far as his character is being portrayed and even some of the real interviews that I've actually watched of him, he was very sober in his mind. But from time to time, he, the emotions would get the better, the better of him and cause him to say things that I think that he, you know, if you could ask him today, he wasn't a regretful man, but he probably would have said he would approach it differently. Uh, and when those emotions take over, it's very similar to when alcohol, you know, you're no longer sober in your mind. And you start to say things that you that can come back to bite you later. And, and you know, I'm just looking at all of these different scenarios. Um, looking at Diddy's situation, that's another black man right now. Looking at Jonathan Major's situation, that's another black man in the media right now. Looking at T.D. Jake's situation. When you look at all of these black men, every last one of them, in the situations that they either speak about or they're being accused of or that they've actually participated in, it all dealt with a lack of discipline in the mind. And, and saying or doing things that is coming back to bite them now. Interesting. But the, the thing is, the timing, that's what I, what I talk about. Also, the fact that many of us like to, we're interested in it. You know, the, the, the Shannon Sharp interview broke the, net, uh, the internet. And, and people just can't wait to hear more and more. As long as it's nasty and degrading, it, it seems that yeah. we, we have an appetite. As a people, we have an appetite for that kind of stuff. Why so? We, we, it helps us to take the attention off of ourselves for a moment, you know, as an individual person. And it also helps us to understand, and I'll come back to that first point in a second, but it also helps us to understand that these, these people that, are, that we sometimes pedestalize as celebrities, it brings them down a notch and makes them, quote, unquote, human just like us. And so you see that they have these flaws. They have these, these, these situations. And the other part is that we get to vicariously live through these people. Right. And then with the Cat Williams, specifically, that was just funny. You know, he's a comedian, he's an entertainer. Uh, but he was also exposing people who were, quote unquote, exposing, you know, allegations. And all of it is alleged until it can be proven, of course, even though receipts have come out on some of this stuff. Um, he's exposing these things that people would have never known or never guessed was going on behind the scenes. And so people 
love, excitement. People need some type of thrill, uh, some type of entertainment, especially in your day-to-day life. You know, people have a work of their life where, you know, they're clocking in, clocking out. They got grunge work. They're dealing with the stress of, you know, uh, of bills, stress of health conditions, stress of relationships. It helps to divert our attention away from our problems for a moment and look at something else. And it just so happens that there's something else is other people's problems. But again, it helps to make, it helps to level the playing field. So, uh, yeah, they are rich and famous, but this is what's really happening behind the scenes. And the other yeah. stuff, though, especially with the sex stuff, uh, you know, with T.D. Jakes and Diddy, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Fuller said that racism is the number one motivating force in the world and sex is the second. Sigmund Freud said sex was the number one motivating force in the world. And all throughout the ISIS paper, you see Dr. Wells is talking about sex and the influence of symbolism and, and sex. And Mr. Fuller has a very uh, profound insight on about uh, racial sexual confusion. And so you see the power of sex to motivate people, to, to, to stimulate people, to activity, uh, to, to, to positions. And, and so that's another part of it. A lot of this stuff is sex-related. And so that's why it's also captivating the minds of people. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you got these algorithms on social media, which is, you know, computer codes that are designed to keep you locked into a particular topic for as long as it possibly can. All right. Uh, 30 minutes at the top of the hour. Brother Collis is joining us. Uh, Brother Collis, good morning. Happy New Year. Uh, good morning. Good morning, my dear brothers, and, and, and double Happy New Year to, to everyone, and, um, and Dr. Jeff and you, my dear brothers, I appreciate you. Uh, I know this is going to be controversial, and black men have a target on their back, which we have to always be cognizant of. Um, and uh, my question would be, Dr. Cornell West, one of the candidates um, for, pre- for president, has said to have uh, a number of child support issues um, with his previous marriages, which number, I think, four or five. I'm not sure, but I think at least four. Uh, do you have any insight on that uh, uh, information or uh, what have you that you could tell us? Because we need to be informed about all of these things as we pursue our, our uh, you know, our informational uh, uh, avenues. All right. Uh, that's another person they're trying to take down. Dr. Jeff, how do you see it? Thanks, Brother Carlos. Yeah, so I don't, I don't have any information about uh, Dr. Cornell West's previous relationships as children or child support situation. I don't have any information or any knowledge about any of that, Carl. Not even, nothing to speak about. Okay, I got a tweet for you, though, Dr. Jeff. Thank you, uh, Brother Collis. Tweeter says, while we are attacking one another, the mainstream is, media is implementing their agenda. So it goes on to say, did you notice that now every woman who is not white is, is referred to as a woman of color, which means when it comes to granting contracts or whatever, the pie is sliced to include everybody. This, I guess this, this person is implying that while we're consumed with what's going on in, in other people's lives, there's another agenda at foot. Yeah, you know, there's always the distraction. The media is a tool of entertainment to keep you occupied and focused on whatever you're being shown at the moment. And, of course, that's at the expense of whatever else might be going on. Uh, and so, yeah, it's well known that the media has been used as a tool for distracting us, uh, certain people away from certain issues. Uh, and, you know, that whole concept of people of color, I've never I've never embraced that label. You know, Mr. Fuller, he's, he's always talks about watch the words and how the words are used to confuse you. Uh, and, you know, and to deceive you in order to confuse you. And when I first 
you know, people of color first started, you know, coming up on my radar. And I was like, wait a minute, it's the same amount of letters as colored people, right? But, you know, it's just like instead of OF for people of color, you just change that back to the ED and you put it at the end of color. You have colored people still. And so it's not that it was some type of uh, evolving in our consciousness that now allows us to, you know, embrace all people of color, you know, all colored people on the planet. You know, it was more of a, and that's the way that it's usually pitched. Uh, but it was really, as the, as the person who tweeted, as I'm, as I'm assuming that they meant, is that, you know, it's going to it's gonna further broaden the pool and divert resources from those who might need the resources the most, you know, which is a part of Mr. Fuller's uh, definition of justice, that those who need the most help get help the most. And it kind of dilutes that. And then I've heard some people flip that same conversation and say, well, Dr. Wells and uh, she said uh, white people and non-white people. And Mr. Fuller talks about the cat- the classification of people. You know, and so there are this pool of, quote unquote, non-white people. And that's when it's coming from the perspective of racism, white supremacy. But when you look at that pool of non-white people, everybody within that category is not the same in every situation. And so I think that that's a part of what his concept of united independent to where you understand that, yes, there is a need for unity. But at the same time, you do need to recognize the individual, the individuals and the independence of those within that collective at the same time. Um, and it's just it's, it requires a lot of mental gymnastics. It requires a lot of awareness and focus. And it, it also requires us to not uh, fall into any of these traps that might be being laid for us. And that's done through awareness. All right. Hold that thought right there. We're going to take a short break. We come back. We continue our discussion on the fallout from these famous black men allegedly involved in inappropriate behavior. Why is it all of a sudden it's happening? That's what we're going to do. Talk about also if these episodes are detrimental to the black community. Do they help or do they harm us? What are your thoughts? You want to join this conversation with Dr. Jeff? Hit us up at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM. 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you And good morning, family. It's 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Jeff. Dr. Jeff is a doctor of clinical psychology. And we're discussing, and you've seen it, you've heard it, you had to. If you, anywhere you've been in this country, you've heard it, and overseas as well. We're talking about the, a, a black man, famous black man, allegedly involved in inappropriate behavior. We could probably go all the way back to Cosby, but it seems like the, they just opened the tap recently, and, you know, with, with, Jakes and, and Diddy and, and, and uh, Cat Williams just blowing up the, the, the internet with all this talk. The question is, why now? And it, it, does it, does it, it impact the black community? Does, you know, the, the idea that these men are involved, and, it may not, and some of it may not be true, and that's the other issue, too. It, you know, so that's another issue we got to discuss. But we, that's what we're talking about this morning. Before we go back to you, let me just remind you that tomorrow, a Morgan State professor, Dr. Ray Wimbush, will be here. So if you are in Baltimore right now, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, Dr. Jeff, my question again, but why now? You know, why? Why, why it just seems like and our people like that? There's, they have an appetite for that. Why? 
Well, again, you know, Dr. Amos Wilson, he said that uh, the larger society creates our desires and creates our tastes for us. You know, and that's a part of the whole marketing uh, uh, machine. That's a part of propaganda. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a subtle form of manipulation where you can get people to actually like and crave and seek out certain things. And when you can determine what a person desires and actually uh, motivate them to pursue those those desires that you've created for them, then you've, you've basically rendered those people under your total domination and control, right? Uh, and especially when you put when you put what they desire, what you make them desire outside of their reach. And so then it becomes this perpetual pursuit, almost like a hamster in a wheel type of thing. And on another level is when you make those desires and those pursuits actually detrimental to their own well-being. You know, now you've really got them tied up because now they're pursuing something that's not good for them. And when people show up to try to point out how it's not good for them or how it's actually harmful or detrimental, then what you have is a situation where they will actually fight you to destroy themselves. Like they'll push against what's right in order to maintain their quote-unquote rights to pursue what's wrong and what's harmful and what's detrimental. And so when you look at the, the turn of the year, 2020, you know, we're in 2024 now, and if you look at it, if you step back from the Gregorian calendar, how we, how we roll with it, you know, New Year's being uh, no, uh, January the 1st, and if you look at it on the, the cycle of the seasons, I'll keep it, I'm going to try to keep it as basic as possible, Carl. Uh, but when you look at, like, the, the, years, the, the year cycle being based on the spring equinox, summer solstice, uh, fall equinox, and then the winter solstice, you know, when the seasons change, the official first day of each season, many see the new year as being during the winter solstice, whereas, you know, that the sun goes from the, uh, the uh, it's the shortest day of the year. And then what happens is that you have a period of time where it's relatively the same amount of time the day is. And then it be, the sunlight begins to increase every day, meaning that the sun rises earlier and sets later every day after the winter solstice, all the way up until the summer solstice. People, some people use that as the new year. And it's that, still that same concept of setting your New Year's resolutions, meaning you set your focus on what you want to achieve and what you want your next year to be like for yourself. And unfortunately, when you get to December 31st and you try to set your New Year's resolution, you're too late because you've missed that window of opportunity that came during the winter solstice. And so what happens is that, long story short, you set people's agenda at that latter part of the year, and it's going to set them up for what they're going to experience next year. So you say, why now? It's, It's a very opportune time to set up the trajectory for black people or the black male experience specifically for this next year and then going on into the future. I think that we're we're approaching that part of the racial uh, showcasing that Mr. Fuller talks about to where pe- black people, uh, select uh, celebrities and well-off and well-known black people are going to be set up to be knocked down publicly, almost like public lynchings. Uh, you got the sister from up at Harvard University, Dr. Gay, you know, she held she reached this esteemed position, you know, to be the president of Harvard, only to be knocked down in a, in a few months. And, you know, so she's had the shortest tenure. So not only did she break the record for being the first black woman, but she also broke the record for the shortest tenure as a president there. And so I think that that's a part of what's happening right now. The timing, you know, because I know that people on that level of influence, they understand these levels of cycles much deeper than the average person in the streets. And they play these cycles. I think it was uh, in reference to Ronald Reagan when they said uh, millionaires have advisors, billionaires have astrologers or yeah, have astrologers, meaning that people who know how to look at the subtle signs, read the signs and plan according to those signs. 
but everything is purposeful. And your question of why right now, that's that's the reason why I see the hitting right now. All right. We'll see what the listeners think about that. 16 away from the top there. Kareem is joining us uh, on line one, calling from Baltimore. Uh, good morning, Kareem. Happy birth. Happy New Year. Thank you. I just had a birthday on the 4th, so thanks. <laughs> Peace. How y'all doing? Um, I had a question in reference to um, uh, you mentioning um, Freudian um, psychology. and. Yes. I studied psychology in, in um, undergrad, and I I came up with I have an understanding that Freud had a misunderstanding of the Oedipus complex and all of that, where you fall in love with your mother, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think that because if if the understanding is that your mother is your first teacher, that's your provider of life, your understanding that then, then naturally that will be the person that you would love. So when so so I have a in my personal self, um, I have women that look similar to my mother. My mother was a light skinned woman, so women say you only like light skinned women. But that's what um, I was a I, I, I was reared towards. So that's the woman that I loved initially as a child. So that's kind of where I'm leaning towards. Have you have you have you looked at the Freudian concept? And, and from an African perspective and taking it from that African perspective of where not that understanding is, I guess, my question. Uh, yes, yes, I have. I've looked at the I've looked at Sigmund Freud's theories, his concepts, including the Freudian, I mean, including the Oedipus complex uh, from an African perspective. I absolutely have. Uh, you know, as you know, that's that's a, a Greek story. Um, Indeed. And it's huge. And it's used to symbolize a reality that does exist, though. Uh, you know, so he wasn't he wasn't wrong in his he didn't misunderstand or misconceptualize the Oedipus complex itself. You know, because it's about King Oedipus Rex. You know, it's based on that myth or that story uh, mm-hmm. to where a father uh, had he has his divination done. He, he received a message that, you know, one of his children would, you know, would betray him. Da, 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 da. So he sent his kid off to try to avoid the prophecy. And he couldn't avoid the prophecy. The child didn't know who he was anymore because he had been sent off from disconnected from his family. He came back and did exactly what the what the uh, what the diviner said he was going to do. But he didn't realize that he was doing that to his own people, his own family. Right. And so, you know, there are many layers to that story. But Freud used that particular mythology or that particular story, you know, to describe, you know, uh, the arrows or the love that a boy has for his mother and how if it's not balanced, if it's not uh, attended to properly, then it can, you know, lead to certain perversions or it can lead to a certain vulnerability that now allows for the boy, you know, even as a man to be manipulated, you know, by a woman, you know, because of that, that unchecked uh, love, desire and, and adherence to and that desire to cater to. And, you know, it's even back, you know, earlier in the show, you know, when Carl came back on and said that we have been, you know, accused of attacking women, you know, and if you're not careful, you know, and if you, if you have an imbalanced perspective, you know, you immediately, you know, you immediately jump defensive and, you know, without having, having the accuser to explain themselves, you know, it's just automatically it's the truth. Right. And mm-hmm. some of that could be, that could be some of that could be an outgrowth of the Oedipus complex. It's the reason why we default and say that, you know, girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice. And boys are snakes and snails and puppy dog tails, meaning that girls are all good, always don't do any wrong, don't do no harm. Boys are all bad dogs, and, you know, and do harm. You know, we're the threat. Uh, but when you look at the reality of, of reality, you see that nobody has a monopoly on doing wrong. 
nobody has a monopoly on being nice and nurturing, right? It's an individual type of thing, but just from being able to criticize and have an honest conversation about those things. To me, those are also expressions of an Oedipus complex gone wrong. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate you both. Peace. All right. Yeah, That's Kareem. You know, interesting you made light skin. Kareem talked about light skin, light skin women, because that's what uh, uh, Cat Williams talked about. So I think that these brothers are always, you know, hooked up with light skin women. Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, so people, you know, we can use the label of colorism. Uh, but you know, if the way that Cat Williams said it is that they come with the package. Right. He said that basically, you know, he, you know, of course, he, he talked bad about him. You know, he said funny face or some funny shaped head or whatever he called it, being a comedian. Um, but he was just basically saying that it's a starter kit. And he was just saying that it's a duplication. And he was pointing out something that, that most people probably didn't recognize or consciously acknowledge. Like, whoa, wait a minute. You're right. And then, you know, the meme came out to where they showed these seven comedians were well, actually eight because they added uh, they added Michael Blackson to the mix. They showed how these eight black men comedians all had women on their arms, whether they were their wives or their girlfriends, their long-term partner, who basically fit the exact same uh, 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 makeup as far as their complexion, their hair, their body type. And so what Kat was pointing out, I think, was, hey, Y'all don't see this Stepford thing going on here. Y'all, y'all don't, y'all don't see, y'all don't see how, 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 how fake and contrived this thing is right now. And I think he was just trying to bring awareness to this is not real, right? And that that these people have a starter package almost as if they've joined an organization. Now, as far as the colorism part, you know that goes way back to where Dr. Welch used to always say it all the time: If you're white, you're right. If you're yellow, you're mellow. If you're brown, you stick around. If you're black, get back. And it's a part of that. Lighter, the lighter the skin, the more beautiful, you know, uh, 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 concept that has been forced upon us, uh, you know, and the fetishizing of a certain type of uh, of a certain type of a, a woman, if you will. And I think it's just an extension of that. All right. Ten away from the top. There. Rick's checking in from Atlanta online, too. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. I um, I'm going to say some real controversial statements. I uh, I disagree agree with the premise of the conversation that characterized the behavior as inappropriate. You see, um, in the case of Bishop Jakes, I don't know the details, I've stayed away from the details, but this is a person who has spread a message of inspiration, of redemption, of encouragement, time after time, over a long period of years. Uh, I don't have any, if he feels like he needs to be forgiven, then let me be the first to forgive him because I don't have any hell to send him to or any heaven to put him in. I got no judgment on the brother. And uh, if he has, the problem for me seems like an atti- a judgmental attitude on the part of many of the gossip mongers who are have put somebody on an unbelievable pedestal. In the case of Diddy, this seems to me to be a, a matter of a con- behavior between adults. It's, my line is unconsensual behavior, or unconsensual behavior or behavior with children. 
I'm going to conclude. I got no judgment for Diddy. Not a single bit of shade for him. I respect what he's been able to accomplish in his career. I send a message of love and encouragement to him. As a young person that was raised in the hood, let me confess, I have seen and done everything with everybody. And I don't think that anybody knows and judge another person's sexual behavior on the matter of where they stand. And I'll take my comments off to you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Rick. Dr. Jeff? Uh, <laughs> I don't, he didn't have a question for me, Carl. I mean, the brother stated his position. Uh, he doesn't have judgment for anybody, uh, for anything that they've done. He's done everything according to his words. Uh, he's done everything with everybody. Uh, and that he's choosing to not get the details of specifically E.D. Jake's situation. I mean, he said he said what he said. <laughs> right. But, but, but again, but, you know, having said that, though, a lot of people have made up their minds that, you know, you said that Kat showed receipts. But, you know, people are saying whatever they said about these if these individuals, people believe that. But I'll tell you what, we're going to take a, a short break. And and, I, and let, when we come back, let's talk about that. And I got a tweet question for you from one of our listeners. Six away from the top of the hour family. You want to join this conversation with Dr. Jeff? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL where information is power. Good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with Dr. Clinical Psychology Jeff Menzies. We're discussing the recent rash of, of reports of black men allegedly involved in inappropriate behavior. Again, uh, some of them have been accused. We don't know if they're true or not. Uh, Dr. Jeff says that uh, Cat Williams have provided receipts, and some of the people he's accused, they haven't said no. <laughs> some have said, yes, it's a lie, but some, some haven't said no yet. So that's always a, a, a giveaway. But the, here's a tweet I got for you, uh, Dr. Jeff. I got two tweets for you, but let me do this one first person says initially i walked away impressed and admiring cat williams however as i thought about it more i felt bad and was concerned that he did not properly contextualize the various situations and also have the same critical analysis for the white gatekeepers of this of his industry Mm -hmm. yeah you know cat williams he's he's criticized the gatekeepers uh you know in the past consistently uh, and part of what he was doing was criticizing the gatekeepers by pointing out the effect of their gatekeeping apparatus, you know, by showing how, you know, some get through, some do not, how you get through. And this is all from his perspective, of course, uh, specifically speaking about, you know, the dress, the dress wearing piece, which Dave Chappelle has also pointed out. Uh, so I don't think that Cat Williams has shied away from criticizing uh, the gatekeepers. I think he's done that plenty. Uh, but what he did decide to do in this, for whatever reason, was to talk about other black men, comedians, and some he, some of which he felt wronged him, uh, some of which he felt, you know, have slighted him in one way or the other. And he felt the need to come forward with this information at the time. I, I'm glad you brought up the dress issue, uh, Dr. Jeff, because, you know, white comedians do that. They, they dress in drag. And the black comedians say it, it's part of it's it's an art form. It doesn't mean that their sexuality is in question. How do you see it? Well, I mean, I agree with that. 
you know, that it doesn't automatically bring the question their their sexuality. It's, you know, some people do it, <clears throat> you know, people do it for whatever reason that they do it for. But of course, you know, looking at looking at it from the, through the lens of Dr. Wells and specifically chapter six in the ISIS papers, uh, it's called The Politics Behind Black Male Passivity and Feminization by Sexuality and Homosexuality. She wrote this in August 1974. On page 84, she talks, here's a quote. She says, the global white male collective understands the priority of white domination. They fully understand, consciously or unconsciously, the threat that black men represent to them. Also, white males realize that in the final analysis, the vast majority of females must submit to males because of their lesser muscle mass. Additionally, white males fully understand that males who are forced to identify as females will be programmed simultaneously into submission to the males they call the man, in quotations, as opposed to aggressing against those same men. And so what Dr. Wells is pointing out in that particular passage is how the, the, uh, the identifying, when men identifying uh, as women, according to her now, uh, at, at what she wrote in 1974, men identifying as women also helps them to identify with the more submissive or passive role. And you got to remember that Dr. Weldon is speaking from the perspective, and her understanding is that we are at war, and that the the on the chessboard, she says the objective is for the white king to checkmate the black king on the chessboard. And from that context, what she's saying is that to make men or encourage men or influence men to or support men to identify as women, whether you're talking about, you know, the sexuality, whether you're talking about, as you call it, Carl Drag, whatever the way it is, she says that that creates a subtle psychological programming that also helps those very those same men to identify with the more passive and submissive role. And within the context of war, you know, men being of, typically of a larger muscle mass and, you know, having testosterone to be more aggressive and assertive, you want men to match the energy of men to protect your community, right? And so she's saying that basically that you have taken away that layer of protection by encouraging, manipulating, supporting, uh, or otherwise assisting men to identify as women. That's Dr. Wells' perspective on this topic, as far as I understand what she said. All right. And with that stated, it's a, it's, it would be a setup for vulnerability for our communities to continue to be decimated. 800-450-7876, uh, six after the top. Uh, Gail's calling in from California on line one. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. Dr. Mency, I'm calling because I've noticed an increase of black males who have lots of different hairstyles. Mostly I've seen it in basketball and football with black men, and it's really disconcerting to me because I'm 100% proof black female, 100 proof. I don't understand it. I'd like you to give it some context because first it was the earrings and now it's the hairdos, which I, I, I can't I can't relate to it. So that's my perspective as a feminine black female. Can you help me to understand what's happening with the black males and the hairdos? Is there a particular hairdo speaking about well the basketball players all of a sudden everybody's got a hairdo some have braids with um uh colors in them and looks like roosters almost and 
some of them, I mean, the hair is all down the back and locks, it, and they're okay. running and they're trying to play sports. And I, I see it as a problem for black male masculinity. That's my so, so let me jump here and ask you this, Gail. So you're not concerned with the brothers who are blonde? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm very concerned. This is recent. Yeah. So, 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 so if I understand it, you're talking about the fact that not only that their hair is long, but they're, like you said, hairstyles, but they're actually styling it and getting their hair done, basically. It, it, it's more than I do with my hair, doctor. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm trying. Do you get my point? It's too yeah, much going towards femininity to me, or trying okay. to guide the black male into more femininity. That's my my hair is okay. Can you help me with that? Yeah, yeah. Let me respond. Um, and so having long hair itself is not feminine. Uh, you know, I used to have locks. You know. Uh, and there's there's entire cultures on the planet where the men, as a sign of their virility, actually grow their hair long, right? And it's just that within this particular context, in the way that yeah. it's being spoken, you know, because I mean, you know, athletes, as far as their 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 physicality, you know, are are superior specimen. You know, you're talking about football players, basketball players, baseball players. <clears throat> you know, these are these are atypical people, physically speaking, right? Uh, and they have, like, if you took their blood testosterone level, their testosterone is typically off the charts. And masculinity is precipitated by the presence of testosterone, right? It's, it's, it's definitely there's a relationship there between the two things. I think that what, what we're also seeing simultaneously is the socialization, you know, the, the more feminine socialization of these very men, right? And which is, I think, is what you might be picking up on. And, you know, there's been yeah. some conversations. In fact, the previous guest, the, the attorney that was on previously talked about child support, uh, the portion that I caught. But what that also talks about is, you know, children being raised in a single parent headed household. And for a vast majority, I would dare say a vast majority of the people that you're prop, that you're speaking about were likely raised in a female dominated uh, household, whether it be uh, headed by a mother and the siblings or sisters and a bunch of aunties and grandmothers around socializing these boys into the men that they are now. And so it speaks to the, the, the necessity or the, the benefit of having, you know, healthy two parent households, you know, where there's both the masculine and the feminine influence there so that our children can be raised and nurtured by the two energies that one make up their being and that two help them to come into this world. Right. And so I think that that might be what you're picking up on. Uh, there's a concept that I've heard people speak about. It's called buck breaking. And again, it's related to what I just read the passage from Dr. Welding when she talks about the need for, because uh, she, matter, she talks about the need for basically weakening the black male by making him submissive. In that same chapter, says, matter of fact, on the very next page, here's a, here's, she talks about sports. She says, for example, in the U.S., heavyweight boxing, basketball, baseball, and football have all been taken away from white males by black males as symbolic expressions of white male virility and manhood. White males have been left with only two major sports wherein they dominate, tennis and golf. And both consist of hitting small white balls. I need not even mention that black men have been blocked effectively for participating in these remaining white stronghold sports. And so she sees sports as an expression of, of male virility, right? You know, men in sports. 
And if you think about it within the context of racism, white supremacy, then that dominance has to that has to extend even into that sport. And so how do you dominate these, as I mentioned before, these atypically uh, superior physical specimen? Right. You know, you have to do whatever you have to do. And if it's feminizing them in some way or another is is possible, then they might be doing that. And that might be what you're picking up on. But it's not the long hair by itself. All right, and and she's gone. Thank you, thank you, Gail. Thanks for your call. Eleven after the top of the hour. I got a tweet for you as well. But let, let's go to the irritating Jeannie. He's a researcher out of Washington D.C. He's online yeah. too. Jeannie, good morning. Hey, Happy New Year. Good morning. How you brothers doing? What's up, irritated Jeannie? How you been, man? Fantastic, brother. How you feeling? I'm doing all right. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear brothers talking about this issue and coming out and being definitive and honest about it. I think at some point we're going to have to recognize it's what the brothers here is saying is accurate. We're in a war and it's a war to destabilize the black community by destroying black masculinity, which is inherently traditionally and historically 100 percent against anything outside of a black man with a consenting black woman construct, meaning homosexuality, pedophilia, uh, any of this other behavior, the transsexualism, uh, men effeminizing themselves in this context of this country. I'm not talking about culturally, historically, but earrings in men's ears, these feminine hairstyles, fried heads on men. This is all coming out of a homosexual culture that has nothing to do with African people. And it's being pushed on us and on our children. And we as black men, as Dr. Wilson would say, we have to come out and be the front line and stop supporting and bending over to the interest and the ideas that this type of effeminization is acceptable. We have to start saying what our principles and policies are setting them forth and creating a culture that provides that. So I just thank you, brother, for being a demonstration of a black man with some courage and some character that comes forth and talks about the reality of the fact we have too many people involved in this. People are afraid to say that we don't agree with it and afraid to do something to change the culture. So thank you, my brother. Thank you, brother Carl. Thank you, Jeannie. I'll tell you what, Dr. Jeff, I'll let you respond to Jeannie on the other side. We've got to take a quick break here. Also got a tweet, a question for you. A bunch of folks want to talk to you as well. Family, you can join the conversation with Dr. Jeff. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876, 14 after the top there. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, he's a doctor of clinical psychology, Jeff Menzies. We start off discussing the fact of all, the, all these famous black men accused of allegedly inappropriate behavior. We say allegedly because we have to say that because he hasn't been proven in the court of law. As a journalist, you have to say that. So for, for the brother in Atlanta wanting to know why we use the, the word allegedly. Anyway, before we left, we were speaking with the, the, the genie. The irritated genie made a comment, or I don't know if there's a question there, Dr. Jeff, but I'll let you respond. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think I don't think Jeannie had a question. He was just basically saluting the stance that you know that you know that this is the war in the context within within which we are discussing this. Uh, you know, he he's doing some very important work offering that that the counter perspective to 
the sexually what, what Mr. Fuller would call uh, sexual confusion is that's taking hold right now. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I, I salute Jeannie, man, uh, and the work that he's doing. I think he has the uh, the straight black pride movement. Uh, right. And one thing that 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 I've seen Jeannie's work force people to do is to is to reckon with the fact that you know that people who adhere to heterosexuality and being straight in this world to quote unquote traditional values uh, are oftentimes forced to acknowledge and accept you know alternate perspectives but the alternate perspectives aren't forced and required to accept the quote unquote traditional perspectives and i think Jeannie's work has has made people you know reckon with that point it's like well wait a minute you know if 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 these other prides are okay then this pride is okay too and this shouldn't be an offense to anybody that people who are homosexual are proud to be homosexual in the same way people who are not homosexual are proud to not be homosexual. You know, so it's, it's a very important point to bring some very important points to the conversation. All right. Here's a tweet I have for you. A tweet came in earlier and it says, uh, uh, tweet for Dr. Jeff. There's a growing trend in the DMV among black men who want a polygamist relationship and they break up with a woman when they reject the notion. I guess when the woman rejects the notion. The tweeter says, is this just a ploy to justify leaving the woman when the going gets rough or when they find another woman they want to love on until they find a, another new lover? No, I don't think it's a ploy for that because I think that if that was the case, they would just leave. You know, I don't, so I don't think that they're using polygamy as an excuse to leave. I think that they are, and I don't know any of these people that she's talking about. I don't even know who the tweeter is. But what I would say is that you know, if the person wanted to leave, they typically would just leave. They wouldn't have to use that as an excuse. It sounds like they may be being honest about what their desires are. And in their honesty, they're given the opportunity for the person that they're currently with to either, you know, accept it or not. And if the person is not accepting of it, then they move on, you know, and find somebody who is accepting of it. If right. that is the case, then there's nothing wrong with that. 23 after the top of the hour. got some more calls for you. Eric is calling from Forestville in Maryland. He's on line three. Eric, you're on with Dr. Jeff. Uh, good morning, Mr. Nelson. Thank you for taking my call. And good morning, Dr. Jeff. Um, I, have a, I have a statement and I guess a question. Uh, most of your guests have uh, piggybacked. I'm piggyback on what they have already said to you all in an audience. Um, you know, uh, ran out dress, uh, that uh, Cat William alluded to about cross uh, cross dressing. Um, it uh, it appears that uh, this is no new phenomenon. Uh, Mr. Nelson talked about it last week about past guy persons, Flip Wilson and some other persons wearing dresses. And uh, you know, I don't understand why everybody's upset or it's like about, about what Cat Williams said about cross dressing wearing dresses on TV. Um, and so the other part of it is uh, you got pastors going, seeing guys like uh, Sean Combs, and then when everybody speaks out against it, and then he goes on the air and does some PR recovery and making it like, like Trump does, uh, I'm helping you. This is something that that was done, and, and you and it's me. It's not it's not me. It's it's the congregation that. That did something wrong. No, it's you, Mr. T.D. Jakes. You went to see uh, Puffy Cone in, in these wild uh, uh, things that you've done. So you know, I, I don't, I don't understand that either. 
uh, wanted to put it on the congregation and not himself. But the last, but the question is, do you think it's a sort of effort for the cross dressing of of our dresses of men putting on uh, the uh, the clothing, the skinny jeans uh, that these uh, designers are doing? It's a sort of effort to demasculate the, the black male. And that's my question. Thank you for taking my call, Mr. Nelson, again. All right. Thanks, Eric. Dr. Jeff? Yeah, I've heard I've heard many people uh, stand on the position that, yes, it is an intentional uh, thing that's occurring. And, you know, they, they, they demonstrate the intentionality of it by, by demonstrating how often and persistent it is. Uh, you listen to Dave Chappelle when he talked about, you know, he came back to his dressing room and there was literally a dress in there and how they intentionally tried to push back against him, pushing back against not wearing it. And so that shows intentionality right there. Uh, one other part, one other thing that I thought of, Carl, is, as, as the caller was just speaking, uh, is how there has been a decline in, 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 in testosterone, you know, average level of testosterone in men in successive generations. And even sperm count is decreasing. And, you know, testosterone and sperm count, you know, are two of the signature markers of, of a male, of being a male, of being uh, a, a, a human male. And with those being on the decline, and with these uh, observable uh, changes also taking place within the male aspect of the human species, you know, then we have to, you know, anybody who's concerned about uh, human <laughs> human survival and the hum- continued human existence, you know, will be alerted by this. There's a book called Countdown. I forget the doctor author's name, but it's a woman who wrote this book called Countdown, and that's exactly what she's talking about. It's a it's a relative, it's an older book. It's not it didn't just come out, but she's talking about how the decline in testosterone and the decline in sperm count, you know, it's actually, you know, driving the human population towards zero. And if we don't take notice of that, you know, then, you know, we're, going, we're headed for doom, imminent doom. And, and the outward expression, you know, as talked about earlier, you know, you can do things externally that will affect you internally and vice versa. So it's not always that the low testosterone or low sperm count will create a feminine disposition, you know, even though it can, uh, low testosterone typically does, uh, it, but it's also that an effeminate disposition can also drive testosterone down. You know, there's some that who who say that. Uh, I can't cite the studies at this moment in this conversation, but you know, you can find these different perspectives out there. And so, it should be concerning to anybody who's interested in overall health of the human being, uh, male specific, if we're talking about testosterone and sperm count, but also the survival of the human species, because at this moment. You know, we don't know any other way to create human beings other than to have uh, the male sexual reproductive uh, uh, participation with the female sexual reproduction. All right. 28 after the top there. Let's go to D.C. Anthony's on line four. Anthony, you're on with Dr. Jeff. Hey, good morning, both of y'all. Can you hear me? Yep. All right. I'm going I'm to take this off the speaker so I can talk. Yeah, well, I was just talking, just listening to the conversation, and it just brought me back to uh, you talking about the low testosterone in the men. It's the food we eat. Everything is by design. They putting it in our food. They putting it in the alcohol. They putting it in everything. As far as this T.D. Jakes and uh, Puffy Cone, what about the brother who owns the New England Patriots and Donald Trump? They hushed that up under the table real quick. I take my answer, my, uh, my answer off the phone. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Anthony. Dr. Jeff? Yeah, I don't know about the New England Patriots story. Um, but uh, as far as the stuff in the food, 
there are known foods that in, that um, encourage uh, testosterone production. There are foods that encourage the production of estrogen and other hormones. And then additionally, in the food, you know, there was I think they were called BPAs, uh, which is a chemical they, they they used to line. It was a part of the chemicals used to line cans, like canned goods, and and it's also in Tupperware, certain plastics, and that's why when you go buy cookingware or storageware, you see no non BPA or no BPAs on the label. They started advertising that, and it was known that certain chemicals, I believe BPA was a part of it, uh, were encouraging the production of estrogen and maybe even thwarting the production of testosterone. Uh, but yeah, so certain chemicals that are leached not only from the storage of food materials like plasticware, but also in cleaning items, uh, some of the materials that's used to treat furniture, uh, carpets, you know, all these different chemicals are known to have impact on the hormone balance of human beings. And of course, testosterone and estrogen are both hormones. And so, yeah, from that perspective, we do get these influences from our environments, from the foods that we're eating. Uh, you know, and again, the intentionality is demonstrated by the fact that these things are being used. Somebody is intentionally using these things. Now, are they using it to create feminized men? I don't know that part, but the intentional use of it is obvious because they are using them. All right. 29 away from the top of the hour. Let's keep rolling. Let's go to Sandra in Baltimore on line five. Good morning, Sandra. You're on with Dr. Jeff. Good morning. Good morning. I call it to your guest. Here we go again. Uh-oh. The perpetrator who called in time because she was black, this is for her. You can't have it both ways. You got a black man, you don't like his hair. Now you're going to complain about that. But you're not going to complain about the other part that you like. And I like to put this out for Brother Snoop Dogg. Snoop, you wore braids, you wore all kind of fancy hair braids styles. You hanging with old girl Martha Stewart. You better be careful because she might want you to cut yours off. And this is for all the people out there who don't want the brothers to wear their braids. I said, brothers, wear your braids. Be proud of your braids. If they don't like it, tough. All right. Thanks, Andre. Dr. Jeff? <laughs> hey, she said what she said, Carl. <laughs> all right. We're raising on the clock. Let's go to Glaude in Baltimore on line one. Glaude, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Good morning, Dr. Jeff. Like James Brown said, this this is a man's world. Uh, those braids, I got a serious, I got a serious problem with those. I used to take karate. I used to play uh, football on in on on concrete on clay, and and the guys train just like uh, the, the Titans. Uh, uh, Henry, you see you see how he trained. And and a lot of them players cannot stop him, and they don't train like that. And uh, and a lot of women, a lot of women like that look. I remember when they started wearing those braids, and uh, a lot of them had braids and walked down the street. You wouldn't know who's who if you be, if you're behind them. And and they started later on. They started wearing a mustache and a goatee along with those uh, plaits. You know. But a lot of women like those that finality, you know. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. So, so that that's a problem. 
All yeah, right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll let him respond to that because we come up on a break. I'll let, when we come back, I'll let uh, Dr. Jeff, because Dr. Jeff, it seems like it's a generational issue, but I'll let you respond. Your, your thoughts on what these calls about the hair question and the brothers in the basketball uh, teams. That's what they're talking about. Family, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Jeff? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Uh, 26 away from the top. Yeah, we'll be back in four minutes with your calls right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM 95. 5.9 and AM 1450. WOL or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 22 minutes away from the top of the hour with Dr. Jeff. Dr. Jeff is a clinical sci- doctor of clinical psychology. Discussion, we start off discussing, you know, with Cat Williams, Diddy, Jake's the whole nine yards, all of that now coming out today, and we're trying to figure out what it's all about, trying to make sense of it. You know, somebody tweeted and says, "We love it when we're dumping on black uh, and on black men." You know, we, we get we, it's it's entertaining for black folks. And the person says, "What was Cat Williams' point?" So I got a whole bunch of questions for you. Before that, let me just remind folks that uh, Morgan State Professor Dr. Ray Wimbush will join us tomorrow. But uh, Dr. Jeff, uh, the question that Glord mentioned about he he had an issue with it too, and somebody tweeted uh, that he, about. Uh, black men wearing colored uh, nail polish, fingernail polish. Is all this, let me just put it in a bundle for you. Is all this uh, generational? Is You know, my generation wear platform shoes and bell bottoms. Is this is this thing you just think is just temporary? You know, maybe the next generation will shun all this uh, feminine kind of, of, of look? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Yeah, I don't think that it's going to be shunned. Uh, Dr. Wells, she pointed it out. You know, she spoke about like Superfly. Uh, you know, and like you know, that played by Ron O'Neill back in the day, and you know how that whole black exploitation, you know, era of film, and you know, and, you know, movies are a major influence for culture, uh, cultural expression, and cultural norms, right? And we talked about earlier how it can actually be used to influence it. So I don't think that it's going to ever go back, and so you know, it can be explained as just a fad or it's this generation, but what you see is a progression towards something, and. And I think that, you know, at one point they talked about, you know, race neutrality, where it's going to be a point where you won't be able to distinguish one race from another because it's going to be one homogenous you know, human uh, race. And I think that it might be headed in the same direction as far as sex is concerned, sex meaning male or female, to where, you know, the lines are being blurred and, and reconstructed and redrawn. And for what I would think an end goal would have to be based on the direction that it's going to where there is no specific sex anymore as much as it, that's the possibility uh and the one other thing though is people often confuse the word sex with gender and they use them as if they're interchangeable and they're not interchangeable things they are two separate things uh but i think that they're working on the sex part of it and i remember years ago and i can't quote him specifically but i remember mr fuller spoke about how if you can get people to begin to question uh sex and if you get people confused about the concept of sex then everything else is fair game and that's a part of what he defines as a racial, what is it, uh, racial sexual confusion. And you can find that on page 32 of the, uh, of the revised and expanded edition of the code. 
All right, 18 away from the top here. Let's go to Chicago. And Kosi's there. He's on line three. Good morning, Nkosi. Well, brother. Now, uh, brother Kwesi, one of the most inspirational things that I heard came from you at the end of your show sometimes. You say, small minds talk about people, bigger minds talk about events, and larger minds talk about ideals. Uh, my question to the guest, uh, Dr. Jeff, is um, what would be your psychosocial explanation of Project 25 as being a motivating factor based on uh, uh, the theory of a fear of genetic an genetic annihilation based on numeric inferiority as far as this approach has been destroying black academia and black entertainment. Okay, yeah, I'm not familiar with what Project 25 is, brother. Uh, Project 25 is a construct of far-right politicians and uh, billionaires to take over the government and change it into a autocracy. Okay, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know about that, brother. Um, I, I I can't I don't know enough to make an intelligent comment on that. Yeah, it's Project Twenty Twenty Five. That's what, what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. It, it says basically, uh, uh, Doctor Jeff, that when the Republicans, whether it's Trump or whoever Republican, they're going to do away with the federal government, and you know Trump's going to become a dictator. And folks, you can look it up. Project Twenty Twenty Five. Uh, the next, the next person will probably be the last election for us. He goes through all of that stuff. That's what Brother Inkosi's talking about. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, my understanding of that is that, you know, this thing could change in the, in the blink of an eye. Uh, you know, if, if that's a part of the script or the agenda that's being set forward for this nation, then it, it wouldn't surprise me if it happens. I mean, my understanding is that the things that happen in this nation happen intentionally and at the will of the people who make the decisions. And it's just, it wouldn't surprise me if that thing came to fruition, I, but I don't know enough about it. All right, 17 away from the top. Right. Thank you, Brother Nkosi in Chicago. Let's go to Memphis. Marcus is calling us. He's on line one. Uh, good morning, Marcus. Yes, good morning, Carl, and good morning to the, the good doctor. You know, um, you know in reference to, to locks, you know, you know, African people have been wearing their hearing locks for eons because when I read that book, Civilization or Barbarism, written by Dr. Shikanti Diop. There is an yeah. illustration in that book taken from the walls of the pyramid that demonstrates that show the African in locks trading with the Haribo. You know, the, the, the African giving the Haribo information and the Haribo giving the, the, the African um, livestock. You know, and let's not forget about the Mau Mau, you know, who the, the British feared. They said they feared the ones in the locks. And a lot of Rastafarians wear their hearing locks, and they're not homosexual. So, you know, it's just, you know, I, I don't really know. But, you know, when we have white thoughts in our blackheads, that's what happened. Because they keep being, keep coming in front of our face and dictating to us, you know, what, you know, what we should and shouldn't do. We should just cut them off anyway take care thank you very much all right thanks thanks marcus uh, dr jeff you want to comment anything that marcus said 
Yeah, yeah. I was bonafide Rasta for years, man. I had I had locks down to my waist. I had locks in my beard at one time, Carl. I had seven locks in my beard, man. Uh, and people would probably look at me now and wouldn't realize that, you know, and you know, been to Africa, both I Rastas in, in, in Senegambia, you know, Jamaica down with the Bobo Ashanti down at St. Kitts Nevis, you know. And so yeah, Rastafarian tradition is what I mentioned earlier is that, you know, the long hair in many cultures of tradition is a sign of virility. And it's just within this particular context, this is what Jeannie came in and also uh, supported by saying that it's just within this context, not other cultures, uh, not other uh, systems of religion and and lifestyles. It's within this context that that question comes to bear. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I understand what the brethren is saying totally. All right. 15 away from the top. Howard's next. He's in L.A. He's on line four. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Like usual, I just wake up and all this controversy going on. What I want to comment is the polygamy thing. Well, before we kidnapped and brought here, we were polygamists. We had more than one woman, and and it was uh, accepted, you know. And we come over here and say, no, you're going to have one woman. What I notice now is that it's the opposite. You've having, uh, I think, on TLC, having this program uh, on talking about uh, the, uh, a, a white man with more than one woman, polygamy and stuff like that. So that, that right there proves that their birth rate must be going down if they're advocating uh, polygamy. And uh, it's kind of strange. If you look at the animal kingdom, it's always one male and about four or five women, especially women, not uh, females. Uh, you, if you look at the lions, the lions are, uh, are like that. They have maybe one male, and he have having his uh, pride about four or five other uh, females. So I think it's a, a reverse that we were when we were brought over here. We were polygamists, and they told us we can't have it. And white men, men now they've been polygamists. And one thing you got to realize when Utah became a state, they had to get rid of polygamy. And I think they might be uh, putting it on, uh, back down there. And there was a pro, uh, a movie on about polygamy, and uh, that was set in like northern Arizona, that around Four Corners region, where this girl was trying to get out of that situation. But it's kind of interesting how. Uh, uh, is be, being reversed like that. So you can comment on that for me. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Howard. And, and, and let me throw this on the log as well. Uh, uh, since we're talking about polygamy, but that's t- men with uh, with many women. What about women with many men? Does that work as well? <laughs> Dr. Jeff. Uh, I heard Professor uh, Smalls, James Smalls, speak about this uh, recently. Um, and he just talked about how the functionality of polygamy as far as African societies were concerned. And he talked about how the how the lack of polygamy in European society, uh, how it expressed itself. Um, you know, and so you know, it definitely has its functionality. And it, the reversal of it, when he was speaking about the uh, the birth rates, there's this campaign called "Do It for Denmark." It's very interesting. You can look it up on YouTube. But it's a video, and it's encouraging uh, people in Denmark to go on vacations because they they realize that more people conceive babies on vacation this whole thing is about uh increasing the population and, and birth rates uh it's very interesting commercial and they've got all the sexual symbolism dr wells will have a field day with that one um but mm. yeah i mean it's it, it's it's a very interesting dynamic and it's a very interesting situation that we're finding ourselves yeah all right thanks howard thanks for your call let's keep moving at uh, 12 away from the top there christian's in malibu he's online too good morning christian good morning john um what happens is we're having an erosion of the truth. I'll give you an example. Um, they say that we have lost 11 pounds of hand strength from 
pushing lawnmowers and pickaxes to typing on computer uh, screens and things like that. And what that really means is that uh, your energy has to be continually built up with strength and the truth. For example, we talk about hairstyles and fashions, but it's also erosion of the truth. Now, I asked a, a, a gentleman who had a law enforcement background about the Kennedy assassination, and he wouldn't answer. Now, he had worked 30 years with all kind of information. He had been retired for maybe 10, 15 years, but he wouldn't answer. Same thing with another gentleman who's a historian. What happens is we as a society must step up with the truth. Uh, we talk about um, Mike Tyson raping this 19-year-old girl who was a scholar student. And what it is, because he's an athlete, we want to say that it's a miscarriage of justice. But we want to put it on the 19-year-old girl who's lying, but then we have the emergency room physicians who confirm it was a blatant uh, rape. That's the truth. And we as men, as a society, we have to evolve into the truth, no matter how discomforted it is to everybody else. What do you think about that, sir? All right. Thanks, Christine. Uh, so what I think about what specifically? Did he, is he, he hung, still on the line? I think he hung up. Is he still there, Kevin? Oh. I think he... All right. He's gone. Yeah, he hung up. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, I didn't get the, the gist of the question either. But I got a tweet for you, and we got another call, so let's see if we can roll through this real quick. Tweeter says, Please tell your guest there is nothing that will make a heterosexual person sexually attracted to a person of the same sex. It goes on to say, Sexuality is not contagious. And I say this as a straight black woman who is also a licensed clinician. So, well, that's a cool. tweet they sent for you. Cool. <laughs> all right. And nine away from the top. Yeah, that's your response. Let's go to line one. Miss Richardson's calling us from Maryland. Miss Richardson, good morning. Yes, good morning, dear. I just want to say to Dr. Jeff, um, what does he think about? Because he mentioned the, uh, Neely, and Neely, of course, is right on it with the code. And what is it going to take for us to learn to get a code? Because, see, our codes are just venomous. We just seem to be negative toward each other. Uh, blacks don't get along. Uh, the color line thing still sits there. And with other groups, they have no problem with, with the color thing. Spanish get along. They all talk together. We are the only group that still has this uh, venomous attitude with each other. But, Dr. Uh, Jeff, what is the, the disparities between Africans coming into this country? Uh, and they seem to be distant from American blacks. It seems like they look at them, they cringe at us. And other groups look at them and see how, you know, it seems like there's a disdainment going on. So could you, I'll hang up, could you tell me what's going on with that? Because psychologically, uh, we're right. not... Well, I'm going to respond there because we're just flat, we're almost flat out of time. We just got a minute, so I want to get his response. Thanks, Mr. Oh, yeah. Richardson. Yeah. Dr. Jeff? Yeah, what I would say, you know, from what I could gather from what the sister was saying is that, you know, it's the same, it's the same influence that, that, that maintains racism, white supremacy, that's influencing black people not getting along with each other and, I, and Africans not getting along with black people to the degree it doesn't. Cause I know plenty of Africans. I get along with them very well, uh, even on the continent of Africa. And then the other part is us thinking that it's only us that has these problems. It's not, you know, you might see, you know, some of the Spanish brothers and sisters talking and having fun amongst each other, but you don't necessarily see the, the racism that exists even within the Spanish culture. We got to remember, uh, these are native Americans who speak Spanish cause they was colonized by the Spaniards, this, the conquistadors that came over here. So that racism exists even within those cultures as well. So it's not just black people 
Uh, I know plenty of African people, again, have been to Africa several times, loved by Africans, and I love Africans. I am an African. So, you know, it's just, I don't, you know, we just have to start to dispel that myth and understand that it's not just blanketed like that. All right. And we got to run. And, you know, apologize for the folks who called in late, but you got to get in there early. So for the folks that had questions for you, Dr. Jeff, but we just flat out of time. So I want to thank you for sharing all this information with us. And uh, how can folks follow you? Are you on social media? Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me on uh, all the social media. This is my name, Jeff Menzi, M-E-N-Z-I-S-E. All right. Thanks, Dr. Jeff. Hey, peace, Carl. All righty, family, we're done for the day. Stay strong, stay positive, please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.